Welcome to Motorcycles and Misfits, coming to you from the Recycle Garage in, said with confidence, sunny Santa Cruz, California. We are back, baby. We're back in so many ways. The rain is gone. The sun is out. People came out. We're having fun. People are riding. And we have a full studio once again. Uh, I think more because of our guest and less because of the good weather. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Um, hey, everyone. This is Liza, and uh, I have a little amigo, my little buddy, the amigo. Having fun with it, but apparently it it might have... <laughs> it might be a death trap. <laughs> it might be a death trap. <laughs> Yeah. It had some in well, utero issues. <laughs> Uh-oh. We'll, we'll see. Apparently, there's uh, some maybe some loose fasteners. So it's going to be in need of going through. Yeah, well, John Donaldson said, so I was riding it, and then a bolt fell out of the wheel, and then I put it back in, and it stripped. So you might want to check that. That's all the report I got. I'm like, oh, jeez. Well, there's more than one bolt, though. It's yeah. A, it's well, a it was an extra. Well, Chinese metallurgy is wonderful. Well, he was about to take yeah, off might... down the driveway, and all of a sudden, he's, the whole thing's rattling. Because we know what this thing sounds like when it I runs, know. right? Like a cheese grater or something, and it's rattling. And all of a sudden, dum, 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 boom. There's a bolt goes on, a, on the ground. And John was about to take off. They're like, hang on, son. Yeah, and it got worse from there. Better made him out of cheese. It just makes it more exciting. Well, let's get to who is here in the studio. And it is nice to have a full studio for a while. Uh, joining us. Uh, been a while since you've been here. It's Charlie. I come every week. No, you <laughs> that is true. Just not, just not stay for the podcast. You get married and get fed at home and you just don't stick around. That's not true. <laughs> that is so true. Is I'm, so I'm here all gone. the time. <laughs> uh, let's see. Also joining us. This is your second, third time. Very first. Whoa! What? Yeah. No. First no way. Time? Really? Way. Wow. Way. Scotty is joining us. Way. Hi. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You come and hang out at the garage all the time. Um, but we'll get to why you're here because you were a surprise with the surprise guest. I'm just as surprised as you are. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, <laughs> running the board tonight. It's Stumpy John. Hey everybody. Hey, pouring one out for my boy Robbie Knievel. Rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Fly in peace. Yeah. Best yeah. stuntman ever. Okay. Says his dad. <laughs> That's what his dad said. <laughs> All right. And I just wanted to say how proud I am um, that Emma has remained this quiet so far. I've been doing my best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's not easy. You've been holding it in. I've been watching you. Emma on the Classy Girl couch. Aloha, darling. I'm yes. thrilled to be here. Thank you for making it up here. I know you almost no, did um, it. Yeah, I had a bit, quite a busy day um, helping friends with broken bikes. But um, And I guess Flaming Crotch? Uh, yeah, the bike actually set itself on fire. Um, oh, wow. that wasn't after Ooh. the naked ride? No. <laughs> oh, if only. That, that would have been rough. Oh, if only. oh I would have given yeah, anything for my bike to be on fire. <laughs> a naked ride last night. Yeah. I would have paid a lot of money oh. for that. I tell you what, Henry it's was supposed to be an internal combustion engine, not an external <laughs> yeah, combustion. Yeah, this, this was every inch the infernal combustion engine. <laughs> let me tell you. All right, well, let's keep going around the room because we're only not even halfway done. No. Also on the classy girl couch tonight, joining us for the first time is Mo. Thanks for having me. Yeah. I feel really comfortable in this room. I might have some. Uh, Toy motorcycles to drop off at some point. <laughs> right? <laughs> nice. Yeah. The, the, I'm running out of room, though. There's a couple yeah. up there. There's room. 
All right. There used to be more trains. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, going around the other side of the room, it's... What did I say? Craig the Giant. That's right. Craig the Giant. <laughs> the juice is loose. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Which juice would that be? <laughs> oh, you never fail. I love oh, it. Ho, ho. Also joining us, uh, who I think has uh, Amigo Envy. It's Ray Ray. What's up? Yeah. Now, now that you've seen it, do you still want an Amigo? No, I want the real thing. I don't want to <laughs> knock off. <laughs> Yeah, it, well, it'll be fun. Let's, let's wait till we put the ramp out. And start doing some jumps. Uh, tighten the bolts first. <laughs> I know. Well, that's how you find the loose bolts. You just get a Charlie or somebody to there you go. do Charlie jumps. Yeah, I mean, if the goal is to break the motorcycle, you can have a lot of fun with it. Charlie was the first person who scraped the fender on the asphalt. I heard it as he <laughs> <laughs> one, one, one o'clocked it. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> pretty metal. That turn. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, also, the, the clutch just kind of snaps. Yeah, I know. Uh, it's too much power. You can't handle it. <laughs> yeah. uh, also, here in the room, it's Naked Jim. Hey, what's up? Good to be here. And yeah, and, and then naked you were last night. Yes, we were all. We were a group of us naked. Yeah, we'll Emma get sorry, part I missed of the that. party, but Ooh. yeah, desert days. Get on it. Well, dirt bikes, ride dirt bikes. And if only he was here, I, I there's a good chance I might have seen Bagel naked as well. There's a very good chance. Yes. <laughs> Yes. So, Mo, you've heard about this naked ride thing? Uh, up until recently, I didn't know much about it, but I feel like I saw two or three videos in the past couple of days. <laughs> Looked cold last night. It was incredibly yeah. cold. There's cold. video. There's video. There's uh, proof. Maybe starting leaving somewhere. Yeah, I a, posted video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I sent it to a certain city over across the hill. Okay, because Emma has warrants, so you know we can't have <laughs> that out there. Yeah, you've got to be careful with that. Um, Interpol. Having having done, I think it's my like my seventh or eighth midwinter naked ride, and last night was by far the coldest. It's all about the armpits. It is. Well, <laughs> it's it, yeah, because you think that the bits are, that are going to get cold don't get cold. Who would have thought your armpits of all things? <laughs> Unless you have piercings, apparently. Them. It's no, I've got my winter cut, honey. Let me tell you. <laughs> I can tell you. Um, Just like Ray Ray's winter sack. Yes. <laughs> But let me tell you, and of course, Adrian, God bless her, (laughs) took us all on the freeway. Oh, Oh, no And it's like, oh my, it was like being stabbed with a thousand knives. It was that cold. It It was really was. It was like 30 seconds of freeway. Yeah, but nevertheless, that 30 seconds was like an hour. I was behind Henry at a stoplight. He Besides was, you had Henry cl- was convulsing so bad, I thought he was going to spontaneously combust. You had clothes on. What do you know? I didn't. Yeah, Charlie was naked. Yeah. Of course. Charlie had a it passenger. Was, it was Jeremy. It was there was yeah. somebody with yeah, a jacket yeah. on. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. Ger- uh, Jeremy was sleeping. Yeah, so, and I just want to say shout out to the vampires who throw this, uh, yeah. this ride. Yeah. Uh, just host it out of the garage. Um, good turnout, good time. It was a good, safe function. Um, <laughs> there have been no safety is there, not. No, 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 no. There, hey, there were helmets on, right? Nothing like anyway. It's you know we make people feel feel comfortable. And like Emma, you were like, who are those old people watching us? It's because some friends had shown up because they always know there's something exciting happening. Well, no, I know, but, but when everyone's taking pictures and shooting video, I'm like, hang on. But then one of them was like, so I have a scooter. Do you think I can ride with them next year? I'm like, yes, you can. She was getting like, I want to do this, too. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just a good event. And, yeah, it's not meant to be comfortable. People were commenting they don't understand why it happens. It's like, 
Because well, the man. idea is a, it's a, like a polar bear swim. Right. So the peak, that's why they do it in January. Um, it's well, like going in the first swim in the ocean in January. It's just the motorcycle version. Uh, somebody had said, why would you do it in the winter? And I just responded to weed out the weenies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a weenie. <laughs> it's like the first hundred yards of a hard enduro event. Yeah, okay. <laughs> and let me tell you, with the cold weather, it sure did weed out the weenies last night. Oh, yeah. It yeah, sucked <laughs> them right up. If, if you can't eliminate them, you can shrink them. Oh, bagel. bagel. Um, So, yeah, good good ride, good time. And I think that just kind of kicks off our busy, busy year we're having. Um, In fact, some of us went down and checked out uh, the site for our rally in March. Oh, yeah. The Misfits Rally. And I am excited. We have a great spot. Um, We have a whole area, section of Hollister Hills uh, dirt biking area. But we have our own exit to go out, so street bikes can be in there. That's It's all great. So we're going to have um, dirt riding, street riding, an adventure ride, lessons. Um, we're working on a whole well, no, bunch no, no, of stuff. Well, well, here's a question, because, of course, I've got a street bike. Mm-hmm. Um, so riding from the street to the campsite. You just have to go in the, the main road and then down the – it's all – you could drive an RV on the road. Oh, okay. It, There's it, nothing yeah, you that could you it. couldn't take an RV on. It's like a dirt parking lot. Oh, okay. You could also take it on the TT track. You're welcome to – we'll yes. go out there and rally a little bit. Yeah. Oh, right yeah. I want to see you on the Suzuki on the TT track. On the on R, on Rufus? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I could do that on the RF, yeah. Mm. So, um, yeah, we're taking signups for it right now. Go to breakingawaytrips.com, and you'll look for the Motorcycles and Misfits Rally when you look under trips, and sign up now. Uh, The cost is $250 for a three-day, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That includes two dinners, two breakfasts, um, the camping, um, and a T-shirt. An event right. T-shirt and all of the classes and lessons. Like people like Charlie's making himself available. If somebody wants to get a lesson in big adventure bike riding, I suppose I am. He'll take him yeah. out. Um, <laughs> for uh, Micah has made herself available. Somebody wants a lesson on like smaller bikes. Jim, like everybody. Yeah, who fear. Has I teach fear. <laughs> <laughs> everybody and pain. Has... Fear and pain. Come <laughs> with me. I teach how to tip over at stops. Yeah. Craig's the one that can ride. No. Good Lord. Emma's going to yeah. show you how to change your tire. Well, I, did, I originally signed up to do a course on actually how to change a tire in the field just with irons. <clears throat> but I think I'll, I'll probably do a couple of other little courses as well if there's enough interest. Yeah, Wheelbarrow so racing. Yes. yes. Well, what's nice, too, is the site. Um, it is, it's a beautiful spot. You do have it all yes. to yourself. Um, and there's hot showers and bathrooms. And I think we'll have to set up and the A big mini- area. We can barrel race in there at nighttime. And we'll set up the mini bike trials course. Heck, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have a, a great time. So go um, to breakingawaytrips.com, sign up for the rally. We have limited spots. And we can do porta potty racing. <laughs> That's <laughs> the best. <laughs> porta potty tipping. <laughs> how much do you tip a porta potty? Uh, how much? Yeah, like 50%. Oh, I'm not sure. When you're, in, when you're in there, we'll let you know. <laughs> Ten, 10% of the volume. <laughs> so, um,. We've been following for the last couple of weeks. Yes. We've been giving updates on the Dakar. We started out with why should you watch? Why should you be interested? Because it's brilliant. That's why. Yeah. And then part of the reason uh, we got the TV out in the garage was to be able to put on stuff like that and watch the updates. And it's so exciting. And, and just watching it, um, I've had so many questions. Yeah. And we even talked about all the different classes and categories. Mm-hmm. And we even talked specifically about the, the Malimoto. Right. That even came up. That 
is the hard, <laughs> hardcore. That's real biker shit right there. So much to my surprise, I found out that one of the uh, contestants, what do you call it? Participants. Racer. Crazy guys. Crazy fin- people. Finishers. Crazy person. Is right here from Santa Cruz. So I reached out and got him here. Mo Hart, you're the man right now. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it was an adventure. Wow. So wow. there's, there's, we, we're going to have a lot of questions, and we're going to be talking a lot about this. Um, the first, I just wanted to like first find out how do you qualify? How do you get in? Good question. Um, so I started racing off road rally in North America in 2015, and typically that happens south of the border for a lot of insurance and permit reasons. Yeah. So there's two events, Baja Rally and Sonora Rally. And I would say that Sonora Rally is the real qualifier. Right. So they have this thing called a Road to Dakar Challenge. And okay. if you win it, you win an entry fee. And there's some rules, like you can't have competed in the Dakar before or previously. And when my team and I went into it this past edition – we agreed that if one of us won, we'd split the money oh. or the entry fee. Yeah. And in the end, there was only two of us. So my teammate David won, and I got half of my <clears throat> entry fee comped. But your specific you know, resume when you're applying for that race, they take the Sonora Rally pretty seriously. Like They, okay. they would look at that and in your results – and then accept your application. Everybody thinks you can just get into this race. Right. And if you look at old numbers for the race in the South America years, it was like 188 bikes. That's a lot of bikes. This year, there was only 127. So they're really, um, careful with my words, but they're lowering the bike numbers. Maybe it's a financial right. thing, but it's also a logistic thing. This year, they raced through the empty quarter in Saudi Arabia, and I think they were trying to take less water in and and have less extraction and less logistics for issues. So the first four days of this event, even though there were only 127 bikes, it was a bit of a, in hard enduro, you'd call it a squid filter. They were trying to (laughs) eliminate people. I mean, it was four days of just the longest, hardest days I've ever had on a bike and rocks and late nights and everything. So, you know, in 2022, I think only 10 bikes didn't make it to the finish line. They eliminated 10 bikes in the first day this year. Wow. wow. So, Where did you uh, place for Sonora? Um, I'd have to check, but probably 12th overall or 11th overall. And so that's where you got to be to be able to potentially get in? Um, they liked it that I've been racing for eight years. You know, I, I think that... Um, you know, I think I got a little lucky. We had a good person doing our... The company I rented a bike from over there, you know, is a good standing with the ASO. And the ASO, for those of you who don't know, they organize the Tour de France bike race in the summer, and they do the Dakar in the winter. And those are the two events that they do. It's the Amory Sports Organization. So pretty serious organization, but they they were, I'm pretty sure, declining applications. Mm -hmm. And the company that we rented a bike from has some pull. So I don't want to say I was lucky, but I, I needed all the help I could get. So I want to go back kind of a lot further than that. <laughs> because we we get a lot of people in here who are involved with racing. We get a lot of people who um, have been involved with the sport in general. And you... are You've been riding competitively for eight years. 
well, in this format. Competitively is a tough. But I mean, I've been competing in this discipline since 2015. 2015. Prior to that, there was no racing. There was no. And okay, now I'm going to put this <laughs> as succinctly as I possibly can because you are among friends, and it's just us in this room. Um, you ain't twenty one, are no, you? No, no, so I had to get it done. I mean, I. Uh, so that really, what what got you involved is it's a bucket list thing. If I don't do this now, there was I'm a, never going to do it. There was a bit of that, but also to be honest, in the forty five years of Dakar, no Americans ever finished the Malemoto class. Right. So never finished. Never That's finished. A, wow. Yeah. And the furthest oh. an American had ever made it. What it's worth fact-checking, but I think it was five stages, and that was when it was in South America. What is Mali yeah. means tr- oh, yeah. Mali means trunk in French, M-A-L-L-E. Um, and I keep saying Malimoto, but they've changed the name of the class to uh, Original, original by Motul. Yeah. We call it OBM for short, um, but it's the same. It's the hardest. You, you're living out of a so, suitcase. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, it's a small so, yeah, so you can explain. So basically, they're not getting the sponsors. They don't get the RV and the mechanics and everything. These guys are living out of a trunk, but you get a tent, sleeping bag, tires, and a trunk. You get a set of wheels that are built your up. Wheels. So you can, you can hot swap your wheels, and then you can take... Your wheels off oh. to get, uh, you know. Somebody's in trouble. You can take your wheels off to get prepped right. for the next disaster, if you will. So okay. yeah. if you come in with a bunch of bent wheels, you can just swap into wheels you have prepped in the in the cage. We Everybody has a cage and a semi, and your stuff's in that cage. You're prepping okay. your own wheels, or is it they prepping for you? Um, when you show up for stage one, everything you've done up to that point is you. And then after that, you can drop them off at the Michelin BF Goodrich uh, scenario. And so with OBM, you're right next to the food tent, which is right next to the BF Goodrich Michelin, uh, you know, service trucks. And luckily, we don't have to walk far. I don't know if you can imagine how big a bivouac is, but it makes Burning Man, not that I've been there either, but it looks small. Weren't you also near the loud generators? Oh, yeah. Everything's loud. Yeah. So, yes. The the cars and the trucks tune all night. When the mechanics get done at two, they take them out to get gas and clean out their injectors or whatever they're doing. And there's just no... There's no rest there. Were, were you guys racing the same, more or less the same days as the pro classes were, just finishing at a different time? Uh, like, well, it doesn't matter how, what class you're in. Yeah. You start it's based on day. your finish time. Yeah. 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 So, so everybody, the bivouac moves. Everybody's, the biv, bivouac moves daily. Um, we had we had it? some stages out of a city. You know, like yeah. logistically, they'd take us into a city called Hale. Hale. Yeah. Uh-huh. Hell, however you want to say it. And, yeah. We'd do a big loop and finish there, and then do another big loop and finish there, and then we'd take off. Yeah, that's wild. So you said you haven't been racing that long. When did you set your sights on this and say, I can do this? Uh, when I figured out I could refinance my house. But we might as well get this, because sooner or later we have to talk about money. And well, there were there were five guys sitting around, and right. you know these five guys have sprinters that are way nicer than than mine i mean mine's finished an e-track on the inside and theirs have you know diesel heaters and right. th- things All for the, the kids things, and showers and when those guys are sitting around drinking whiskey maybe you shouldn't sit around with them and ah, for, their, planted for the their for their good ideas we so. call that peer pressure but yeah. um yeah i mean a sprinter's 150 plus when you start getting them out yeah. but the point is thus so 
you did the Sonoma, and that gained you half your entry fee. What is the entry fee for Dakar? Uh, I, I'd have to double-check, but it's twenty-two or 25000 Okay. Oh, I saw it listed at 30000 So. bikes. Well, that might be the premier class. But okay. nevertheless, so let, let's let say, so first off, you got half that, so you're 12000 in the hole just to enter. Yeah, and, you know, when I decided to do this, I didn't do it thinking I could go out and ask for money and be funded because right. I don't have well, the nobody, speed to yes. say, hey, I'm going to go win this. So I when I thought it was a great idea to do this i knew i could self-fund myself right. is that yeah okay sure. so you you did so you you've thrown down the entry fee now what did you do about a bike did you ship your bike out there did you get a bike locally it's a good question so because i'm unfamiliar with the rally fa- factory replica and i knew working on it was going to be critical you know i bought one from a dealer in Mexico because you can't get them in the U.S. Oh, okay. They don't have EPA stickers, right? So we paid full Mexican retail. Which was wild. Uh, uh, for, for three of these things. We, and we, and oh, the, my gosh. Uh, and let's, well, let's say what we, the bike is. The, it's a replica what? KT, sorry? Yes, the winningest bike at yeah. the car. The KTM 450 Rally Factory okay. replica. There's a 450cc yes. Uh, engine limit so it can't yeah. be any bigger than that and you can't get them in the u.s and the u.s cpa and this and that they just won't even touch it the, to tune them down to dumb them down enough to get them into the states is not cost effective so but by, huh. by the time we got our bikes to the border from yes. guadalajara that was with about a thousand dollar a bike delivery fee and however it worked we paid full Yes, Mexican tax, you know, but uh, that number is close to thirty six, and so I didn't want to learn how to work on my bike in the dark, in the sand, <laughs> and that's in the rain quite smart. In, in Saudi Arabia. So that does that need to happen? No. Was it helpful for me? I'm yes. going to say yes. That's smart. okay. So when you get to a company. And if I wanted to ship my bike, I would lose it for four months there and four months back. So the day my entry gets accepted, I basically would have to ship my bike to France to make a boat at Thanksgiving to get to Saudi Arabia. Okay. That doesn't really work. Right. I needed my bike to practice and yes. ride and, and train and tune all fall. So went with a bike rental option. The bike rental option is basically about sixteen grand. And okay. so when you, get, wow. when you get a package through a race team in Europe... I'm going to say that number is basically close to 60. Um, there's a lot of math wow. there, but it's 12 tires, it's 12 mooses. Right, it's, and, and so on and so forth. It goes on I, and on, yeah. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> Bro, so, what do you mean? Well, I was going to say, <laughs> just running some very, very um, rough figures in my head, probably 120. By the time I got done with plane tickets and everything else, you know, it's somewhere between 100 and 115. Uh, yeah, that's but, you know, I could sell that bike. I mean, now that it's here and it's plated in Montana, you know. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I I could recover some costs, but I really like the bike, so I'm trying to keep it keep it together. You know. Can can we just go back a little bit mm-hmm. and say mm-hmm. what kind of riding did you do before? And, um, and what was you your know, experience level? L.A. Barstow Vegas was probably my first oh, point-to-point okay. stuff, and I really appreciate the back road discovery routes now. I don't think they were 
really in place in 2008 when I got back into, you know, riding. Um, when I was a kid, I had a 1975 XR75 made, <laughs> made the same year I was born, and I could never get it off the property I grew up on because you'd go through a little stream in the back and the electrical stuff right behind the fender would get wet and I'd have to wait for it to dry and all my friends would leave me there. And anyway, it was a long time before I got back into bikes, but I've, I got a 2005 KTM uh, RFS 450 EXC guy was going through a divorce, sat next to a sprinkler in his backyard, <laughs> needed some oh, money no. and uh, it only had like 700 miles on it, but that was really 2008 at all kind of, Okay, that's started. a pretty steep climb from from that till Dakar. Yeah, and you know, I I didn't really set the the world on fire there either. So I mean, it's, you made it. I didn't come from a racing background. So, but, but just watch watching it on TV, and especially those dunes. Mm. How did you? How did you uh, train? How did you prepare yeah, for that? What's your? I think what what Liza's getting to is is what's your exercise regimen? Because I mean, you're a big guy. You mm. you you look like a very very strong man. Yeah, I think I, you've I, got I, a lot of strength. I sink in the sand, but <laughs> I sink in the sand. So so you, you've got a lot of mass to move around as well. <laughs> I mean, it's what was it, the name Max Klein, that skinny kid, that was, Mason. Mason Mason Klein. Klein. Yeah. yeah yeah yeah. I flew over with him on the plane, and all he did was eat the whole way there. His dad He's, would just that put food right. in front of him and he'd eat. And my God. He, he lost 18 pounds at last wow. year's Dakar. Oh and he, he looked, doesn't have 18 to lose, yeah, looks, right? Yeah, no, not right. at all. Yeah, so, so where did you train for to learn how to ride in dunes like that? Uh, the Sonora Rally offers uh, very unique access to something called the Altar Dunes, which is basically oh. the ebb or the erg. There's only five of them in the world. But basically, if you can picture, picture how the Colorado River has formed the Sea of Cortez, you know, south of Yuma and near a border town called San Luis Rio, Colorado, it makes this a massive dune field. Um, huh. And there's other places to train in the sand in North America, but that is the closest. And that's why the organizer, Darren Skilton, has provided that as, you know, the breeding ground for people going to Dakar. Right. It's you- as close as you can get. And how much time did you spend down there? Um, just the races I've done. I, I wish I could say... We've trained there. Um, I guess we took those RFRs when we got them right. out there. I overoiled my chain and tried to make it look dirty before I smuggled it across the border. <laughs> but, uh, um, but you know, for training, we we did some big loops this summer. Um, some BD, you know, we tried to do the Idaho BDR in about three days with tents, and you know, you're basically just really good at dealing with your tent because of the mosquitoes and um, I'm not a real big fan of riding in dust, and I usually just slow down and let the dust settle and go. And one of my teammates was like, we need to go up to essentially the commercial logging lanes in Alberta. And I didn't really know what he meant, but there's like these, you know, the logging trucks and the natural gas trucks run on these um, rows that they've made running semis and double double axle semis or double hookup semis, tandems, I guess. And you've never seen dust like this ever. And I was better at it by the yeah, end. I was gonna and say, it, and it's a get... terribly crowned road. Like, it's right. so unsafe, I don't even know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> and, and you personally, um, you do an exercise regimen, you watch what you eat, you make sure you've got the stamina to get through this. Yeah, yeah, I'm sitting here drinking a Coca-Cola, but I haven't had one in a while. Um, yeah, I, you know, I did CrossFit for the past year leading up to it. I was trying to take it as seriously as I could, maybe a year and a half. Actually, right. when COVID started, so losing track of time. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's 
um, you know, for endurance training, there's probably three things that are, are the best and they directly relate into core strength, like s- that, you know, simulate standing on pegs. And that would be a stationary rower, uh, any kind of a stand up paddle board, like a race board and, um, and cycle bicycle, you know, riding a bicycle right. or an e-bike, whatever you want to call it. So you get the idea. You get, it's always been a dream. You, don't you know? Don't I mean? You get it's the, a, yeah, you yeah. get the idea. You get accepted. You get mm. the funding. All the things are falling in place. You get there. Mm. You're you're. What, what's the energy like? What and you're there with some other Americans. So five of so us went. To, five of us went together. There was another American racing, Malimoto. Um, he's a dual citizen from the Czech Republic. His ah. name's Peter Vicek. We mm-hmm. call him Angelo or Wolfie. And he's raced a car three times prior as a Czech. He did it twice with a mechanic and once Malimoto. And he got his U.S. passport and raced Malimoto this year. So the two of us finished mm-hmm. the Malimoto class. And he's a great guy, super encouraging the whole time. He was seventh. That I think. sounds right. And you were fifteenth. Yeah, fifteenth yeah. out of twenty-seven. Was there yeah. twenty-five of us? So. So you're there, and I mean, if well, like first, when, when I walked into the bivouac, you yeah, know, first, like, time, like, first what, time, what's it like? Well, you walk up to your bike in your box, and there's a guy next to you, and he just looks at you and he goes, first time, and you're like, yeah, you know, how, <laughs> did, how could you tell, right? And, <laughs> yeah, and and he just voluntarily, you know, describes that he's done. You know, I don't know if you guys are familiar with like Red Bull Romaniacs, but he's yeah. like, I've done Red Bull Romaniacs 19 times, and I've wow. done Dakar 13 times, and finished 10, and I'm like, oh, okay. And then the guy next to him's wow. like, I'm Cyril Dupree's mechanic from from the years you know of yeah. him winning and i'm like okay and, you know the next person and just like uh-oh like i'm in trouble like this is serious you know everybody's everybody's ready to go and then when you're f- the first day when you're on your bike how what's it feel like Were you the like- helicopters and the, just the amount of um yeah i mean it definitely pre-race jitters for everybody right yeah. so it's just an intensity level that's if there's 15 people around and everybody's acting that way, it's one thing. But we were, you know, 127 bikes plus the organization plus media. And it was it was real. I I, mean, I, I can't remember. Did bikes go first? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So you, so bikes and sometimes is it pre dawn or is it dawn? Um, they never started a timed part of the race for us in the dark. Yeah. Definitely first. <laughs> first sunrise first minute yeah. of sunrise but so that's cool we would le- we would transfer gate. in the dark all the time wow three yeah. in the morning three thirty in the morning four in the morning you're just and it's raining and oh well that's a whole nother part of part of the experience another part of you know i think that adventure riding and doing bdrs is a key critical part to training for something like that like you can't just rely on oh, i'm going to saudi arabia it'll be warm it'll be hot like not the case yeah. one of the most interesting things that i was curious about mo is what kind of psychological challenge did you challenges did you face and what kind of mental things did you overcome because it seems like that piece of it is a whole nother set from the physical for for me um you know it was pretty demoralizing to be on the bike twice as long as the leaders so like if they were on the bike for four hours i was on the bike for eight if if they were able to stay ahead of the cars and the side-by-sides and the garbage trucks and the angry golf carts like they had a much better day than me and so the when those cars and four-wheeled vehicles came through they dig they dig some pretty massive ruts and since it was raining those ruts were probably a bit a little bit weirder than usual so the psychological demoralizing part of like 
getting a pass alert, needing to get out of that rut, turned into, well, I'm just going to stay out of the rut, which seems faster. It's definitely safer, but it, it, in the end, was slower. So my days would become exponentially worse as more four-wheel vehicles came through. Like I just and you know every time you pick your bike up in the dunes, like you just you're wondering what you're doing. You're and I don't think I was the only one picking up my bike. Like starting to look through footage, and I don't think it was easy for everybody, you know. But I, uh, it was hard. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. And I, you know, financially can't be like, well, I'll just come back. You know, like that's not really an option. I couldn't really go fast enough to get hurt either because I couldn't afford to do that. So it was just a it was just a grind. I don't know. Something, but I mean, something's it, wrong with me. Like that's there's, 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 there's nothing. Join the crew. You're you're amongst. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's nothing. There's nothing. Uh, it might be a little too soon, but like I really wouldn't recommend it. You know. Right. But it's it's almost like the the financial hit kept you going oh, at yeah. some stage because I mean you're like a dropped 115 large on this yeah you well know, if i was jeff gonna... Be- if i was jeff bezos i would have called a helicopter i promise yeah, right i would yeah but just for, for an ordinary working yeah. working person yeah that is yeah. a and lot of yeah, money nobody could believe how quickly i was pulling the pin on getting out of there you're, like, you're on the 5 a.m flight tomorrow i'm like i have to go back to work i don't right. what are you guys doing you know <laughs> can i um, so when you were running through the desert, were you just getting passed by some of the trucks, and was oh, yeah. it just mobbing at all times past you, or was it so expansive that you they would just pass you kind of once in a while? I, I I got used to the rhythm. Definitely the um, the car leaders coming through. The first three cars, fast cars, NASA, uh, Sebastian, and you know some of the other Toyota Gazoo trucks would come through and. After that, they'd stack up pretty hard. You know, I, I knew there'd be two minutes between each car in the beginning, or it seemed like the case. I mean, some days I'd get caught by the cars 100 Ks in. Some days I'd get caught 60 Ks in, and that's when you knew it was going to be a long day. Um, but, you know, after finishing the first four stages in the dark with all of those people, like, my my goals slowly changed to, like, okay, I need to get in before the sun goes down. Because what they would throw at us at the end of the stages was – very sadistic i mean just so french and so Ooh. sadistic it was that's terrible, that's you, terrible. Put, i mean I, i've never i've never raced in the dunes at night i've never raced in the dunes on a stock oh. headlight and you'd go over these dunes and you'd be out of the main line because you didn't want to get run over by a garbage truck and you'd have to wait for your light to commit <laughs> yeah. to yeah. Yeah. what oh, you were doing it was none of it made any sense you know I'm, you're questioning I'm, everything yeah i'm, yeah, I'm curious i'm curious about the dunes um because, you know, Craig and I have done a little bit of it, but nothing on the scale you're talking about. But it looks like once you kind of vibe with it, it can be a lot of fun. Oh, it is fun. Like, the nighttime <laughs> thing's a whole other thing. So I'm curious, like, yeah. what's it like riding those big dunes navigating, like, where you don't know what's over each thing? It, it has to be moments of joy and utter, like, There's definitely terror. a system to getting over a peak dune. And if you watch, you know, those Dakar highlights, like, the the leaders and you know the guys who are really efficient at it they do this little they do this little swimmy fish move at the top and mm-hmm. so you can either commit or not commit but you're basically paralleling the crest until you t- until you trust it mm-hmm. so you'd never really want to go straight blind off a crest <laughs> yeah. unless you can see it and and one of the tricks to ride in the dunes is following somebody you can tell from their shoulders and their throttle what's coming Right. And that turns into, yeah, okay, I can go straight, or yeah. I need to check it like they did. But if if they go off it and they send up a 50-foot rooster tail, which you've probably seen, yeah. you know that you're pretty safe. Yeah. So, so in that vein, talking about um, you know navigating, that's a big part of it. Um, 
how did you get up to speed with that so quickly? So, you know, roll yeah, charts aren't easy. You know what I mean? Even yeah. though you follow people, I still think that would come yeah. into play. How'd you sort all that out? The, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of tracks. When yeah. you're as far back yeah. as me, mm-hmm. you're not doing a ton of navigating, but what you are doing is racing the computer. So in the dunes, they have something called a waypoint mask, and that's the only thing that matters. It's the only thing you're correcting on during the race. So if I knew that I had 15 kilometers to the next, next WPM, I could see the line. I could see the tracks from everybody, especially because of the rain. Hmm. So I could make my own line through the dunes and get out of the main line and cut corners. I mean, and you know, my mileage would be wrong when I get to the WPM, but then it mm-hmm. it rectifies itself and you move forward. Yeah, that, that was Toby Price's plan: is never be first. Yeah, we were, we were talking about that yeah. earlier. Yeah, because then you risk making the, a mistake and, mm-hmm. and losing a lot of time. I wanted to ask you about um, something that. Watching this set, I, I found really um, special about this race that this is a highly competitive race. Yet, if somebody is uh, injured, crashed, or out of commission, somebody else will come along and stay with them or help them. Yeah, you get your time back. Yeah, so um, you're, <clears throat> the rules are, are very specific, but I find that they're very lenient with this as mm. well because you need enough people to pick up the airbag stretcher to get them into the helicopter. So if you're mm-hmm. in four feet of the deepest sand in the world, you need some bubbas to move somebody, you know? And uh, my, one of my teammates went down in the dunes uh, pretty violently, and he was racing next to it, a guy from Italy. And they both went blind off a dune after they were told not to and both wrecked and both had to get into the helicopter. And it took, you know, I think it took about 12 people to get them out of the sand pit they were in to the helicopter. So when the rules say two yeah. people can stop and help and get their time back, oh, that so is... You, so the time you spend there doesn't get taken out of your time? No, you get you get it uh, reimbursed. Is that reimbursed. the right word? Or, I mean, yeah. right. And the computer will tell the org. Interesting. The computer, uh, yeah, the organization's tracking device tells them exactly how long you stayed and waited mm-hmm. so if you were really reading into it when matthias walkner went yes. down mm-hmm. and kevin ben- kevin bevanitas stopped to help him that's it's good for kevin yeah and that was on he, like day 13 he's drinking some water yeah. he's having his goo bar everybody's making tracks and he won the stage right mm-hmm. like so who knows and on 10 like- 15 20 bikes go by while he's helping matthias now now there's no mistakes for him to make he can follow what is now oh, a burned okay. in main line instead of two tracks or three tracks in front of them and maybe somebody gets lost and, and, and those crashes are no joke no yeah. those guys are going a lot faster Dude. than me no. oh. yeah so i thought that was cool because like was it day one or two when matias stopped and helped was it brayback sam, who was, or south uh, sunderland pretty sure matias yeah. helped sam that was day yes one. yeah matias helped him and then and then mm-hmm. on day 15, it's it's unwritten same. it's unwritten code even if there was no time right. reimbursed people Stop. I love that. Then also there was a story I saw about, and maybe you know who this was because somebody in the Mallee, his moose went out on his rear tire and he still had to do like 50 kilometers or 80 kilometers and he just zip tied his tire to the rim. Was that this year? This year. Hmm. And then he ran into another rider who had a blown engine who gave him his wheel. That's pretty common. And I'm like, that is awesome. You're stealing parts a lot in the desert. I mean, there's... There'll be a bike in perfectly good working order sitting there on the kickstand, and I've heard of people just doing a complete hot swap on all the parts to get to the finish line. You know, fuel pumps gone in the tanks. Okay, I'm going to steal these tanks. 
So how well was your malaise sorted out? Yeah. When you your you what the kit the kit that you brought, how well I definitely brought some tools from home, stuff that I like to use in my shop and what? Be specific. Like like a muffin tray. So you take Mm -hmm. two bolts out of your skid plate and they go into one part of the muffin tray and then you know, the bolts for I don't you know. I mean, kitchenware. No, I did, yeah. and, and you know, the other thing I really like is I have the essentially the hot plate that goes into a buffet hot plate thing, mm-hmm. a big metal tray. You know, I get like six of them. Yeah, like yeah, but they're deep though, right? Yeah. And I, you can get six of them on eBay for thirty six dollars. I'm sure they come from China, but like when we did clutches on our rest day, pretty mm-hmm. handy. Like you don't, you just put everything into this, you know, stainless. Work tray and so add cafeteria tray to our list of tools. Just trying to keep the dirt out, you know. Like I mean, we were you're in the muck. Did you bring any special tools that didn't come from a restaurant supply place? Yes. Uh, (laughs) Did you bring um, tongs? uh, No, no tongs. But you know, I brought my own. um, Brought my own Harbor Freight uh, work. You know, uh, nitro gloves. Cha ching. um, Pretty, Did you hear pretty, that? I hear a sponsor coming. Yeah, mm-hmm. pretty handy. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the bike company that loaned us the bikes supplied a pretty complete toolbox, but I was still glad I brought some of my stuff. Well, I wanted to talk about that because that's part of doing the Malay is you're responsible for doing work on the bike. So what kind of maintenance repairs did you have to do? I was pretty minimalistic in changing my bike. On the rest day, I did sprockets, chain, uh, I did my clutch. I didn't need to, but I brought the clutch was so new that I took out. I brought home for a spare for my bike here. Um, I brought on my teammates' clutch because that was brand new. But uh, yeah, I had, a, I had a bad cable up to the nav tower for one of the repeaters. Uh, and I finished that project up about twelve thirty one night. We left at three to or got up at three to leave at four. I didn't do brake pads. Um, probably did tires every other day. Something like that. Uh, so, like, how, how when you would what time would you get in? How long would you have to then work on the bike, and what time do you have to start again? Um, it changed every day, but in the beginning, I was lucky to get in before nine or ten at night. Uh, and you know, they yeah, it's all a blur, right? I mean, 15, <laughs> it's only been a week, right? Fifteen days yeah. of, <laughs> of racing, but there was one stage that cut short because of weather. Yeah. And we commuted back into town, and they were like, yeah, just follow this road, and you'll see the bivouac. And you're like, okay. It started raining so hard, and luckily I had my gear with me, but I didn't see the bivouac, and the directions were terrible. And I ended up in downtown, you know, all baba whatever. And <laughs> and the water was so deep. <laughs> the water was so deep at a, at a intersection that you put your foot down, and you'd be up to your knees. And you can't see the wow. curbs. It's flash flooding. None of the... None of the traffic lights are working, and I and the hardest part about that was I didn't need to be there. Like if I had navigated properly to the bivouac, I could have avoided all that. But I was so I ended up in a in a fire station with you know a bunch of uh, Saudi nationals and lost in translation, just asking where the airport was, and you know they're feeding me dates, and I'm just shaking to death, and um, you know they figured out I was American. I was like, is that okay? And they're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, I made it back to the bivouac, but that was a late night. And um, yeah, I mean, just the liaisons are something that uh, are something you don't see on Red Bull TV or NBC Sports, and they're the most dangerous. I mean, all the Saudis want to race you on the road, 
they're taking video while they do it as they drive you off the road because they're not paying attention and it, it was mm-hmm. yeah and they're long and cold i mean we did at least three 500 kilometer liaisons you know the equivalent of going from here to la almost right. pretty close so, so you said, oh, go ahead. Sorry. So you said you change tires every other day. How come? I mean, you're riding in the sand mostly, so there shouldn't be a lot of. They wear. they threw it at us this year. The, the first two days were nothing but rocks. Uh, so definitely, mm-hmm. when I looked at the knobs, end of stage two, going into stage three, I was like, I don't have a choice. Like I have to change these. But you're also, um, you're also combating, you know, durability, right? So a moose on the pavement over 70 miles an hour will deteriorate. You know, we don't use twos. We use this foam insert and and it suffers from heat. So if you want to be, if you want to make it to the finish, you have to keep up with stuff like that. And I, and I think it's more of just precaution than. So the the temperatures were so cold that we were told they would survive, but you don't just (laughs) know. You don't trust every. Oh, you don't wow. trust everybody. Right? So nightly, was there like routine maintenance you did every mm-hmm. night? What, what, bled, so what bl- every night minimum did you kind of have to do? Bled my air forks every night. So mm-hmm. getting mm-hmm. getting a bike with nine gallons of gas up on the box Ugh. is is a challenge when you're tired. But that was bare minimum. Then you'd go after the air filter, and mm-hmm. the weather was so bad, um, and I was always so late that I probably did oil less than I wanted to. But in the okay. end, I started doing it a lot because I was like, I need. It's like every other day, every couple of days. Yeah. Something like that. Whatever. Yeah. I guess it's kind of dependent, right? Were there specific tasks that you're like, yeah, I really should do that. And I super just want to go to sleep. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like granola yeah. bar and pass out. I forgot to, uh, I forgot to bleed my air forks or my bleed the air out of my forks one night. And I, Felt like it was on my mind all day. I felt like it was an annoying, just lurking thought. Like, is that why this sucks so bad today? Because I didn't bleed the air out of them. And so I was pretty sure to do that every day again. Right. So at any point, did you regret this decision? Or were you in it the whole time? Uh, I mean, how many times? Yes. I, so how you, how you, low you, did so you have to just, how deep just, did you have to dig? I don't think that's the I don't think that is the question to ask, Liza, because I think I think he's already answered that a hundred times. The question to ask yeah. is, given the availability of finances, would you do it again? Um, for the first three days after doing it the answer was no yes <laughs> and and, and this morning i started ordering stuff that would <laughs> just in case yeah, you know, just in case <laughs> if you have this. so i think so that's I the more pertinent question so yeah. you would yeah I, I i mean so looping back to the sonora rally it's now part of the entire series this is the this year coming up it's world rally championship points so they're going to be an aso run event this year so all these repeaters and ertf devices that we had at dakar will be there so i'm ordering all that stuff to race like the rally two class at sonora i I just had a thought do you actually need an fim license yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so you need a a 
pocket FIM license yeah. to race in that. So. And I, well, there's going to be a national class, which you won't need one for right. at Sonora because they're trying to keep But if you want to go back to the car, you're not going to run the car without an FIM license. No, you license. have to have one. Yeah. yeah. So they, uh, we did the prologue on December 31st, and there was talk of us needing an FIM license for 2022 and 2023 for one day, $500. Wow. Right. And they let us slide on the bike side of it, but the cars all needed it. So, like, I have my FIM license to do Sonora. And the, and for those that don't know, the, the FIM license is your racing license. And not yeah. only is it a $500 hit to get one, but you, you have to kind of earn it. You don't just get an FIM license. You have to yeah. prove ability. Yeah. You have to prove not necessarily winningness, but competitiveness. I you, mean, you have to be an AMA member, and then they mm-hmm. screen you. Uh, yeah, and, and Connie from the AMA does all that work for us. And we didn't have them until, I mean, right. the week before Christmas. Right, but Connie is pretty mm-hmm. diligent. You can't oh, say, no, "Oh, I've been riding this and riding this," yeah. and Connie will find out that you haven't. Yeah. And like, yeah. no FIM <laughs> license for you this yeah. year, Emma. Yeah. I mean, my my rally resume isn't. Um, you know, doesn't have like distinguished honors, but it's lengthy. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, I, but, but you I, went to Harvard of like Dakar yeah. is like the Harvard yeah. school, yeah, the of beating, racing, the, yeah, with with but, with with nuns beating you with rulers. Yeah. But you know, it's funny on a smaller scale, and this is very very pertinent. You know, it's 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 the naked ride. The first time you do the naked ride, about five minutes into it, you think, "I will never do yeah. this again." What yeah. the hell am I doing here? This is the most painful, the most grueling, the most revolting thing I've ever done. People on the street are laughing at me. <laughs> <laughs> However, by the time you've completed your first midwinter naked ride, you're looking forward to the next year. Yeah. And now it, then it becomes an annual event. And hear me, and Jim, you're in year seven, aren't yeah, you? Yes, and we were all laughing at you, not just the Well, I know that. Yes. Well, and Emma, just remember, when people say, now that you've done, done the Dakar, what's next? Your answer is... The naked ride. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> ah, <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> hope, hope everybody's not scared of small things. <laughs> so I have a question. Uh, this is something I've been asking over the weeks when I've been watching the reports and yeah. I didn't have an answer. I'm like, ah, ah. I now you've somebody. got the answer. I asked somebody. Um, they said many times about uh, somebody would get like a certain time, but then they got penalized for speeding. Yeah. So there's a 130 kilometer speed limit on all vehicles whether it's a support staff or a race vehicle on the liaisons on the transfer section so on the roadways on the roadways you were okay. you were pinned down at 130 uh sometimes you get into a i don't know you know is it a city or an yeah. inhabited area and it would be 50 kilometers or 30 kilometers and, and like daniel sanders got one where he went into it and it was 50 and it changed to 30 and he got bit because he wasn't paying attention. Mm. So you think you're in the speed zone and then it blows up on you and you're like, Oh, there was, it went to 30. I didn't see that. And, and outside of transfers, there was a speed cap for all the bikes that was 160 kilometers an hour. And so the, the, I mean, anywhere racing mm -hmm. anywhere, they're they're trying to make it safer. Isn't that oh, still pretty fast? It is very fast. That's, that's not slow. It's like 70 miles an hour still. Yeah, no, yeah. It's more than that. 100, no, more than that. 160 clicks is 100 miles an hour. It's no, a very no, easy no, calculation. No, 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 no. 100 kilometers an hour is 60 Right, so 160 is 100. 130 kilometers an hour, if I'm right, is 81 miles yes. per hour. So 
160. I, ne- I never went 160. 160 is 100. But you say you're for the, the 100 miles an hour. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, sorry. Yes. You're right. You're right. My bad. I thought you, that, that's still bad. fast on a dirt bike. It's plenty quick. It's it's fast on it's a fast road on a street bike. Because they don't show that part that you guys are going on to, no. to roads. So I wonder, remember, was it... Um, Dust to Glory when they showed the Federales lined up and mm-hmm. we're pulling over all the mm-hmm. the cars. Mm-hmm. So are the police out there or no. is this all through GPS and through monitoring? <laughs> they're, they're, <laughs> they're controlling you from from their little device. But yeah. you know, you can understand them wanting to make this thing safer. If you look back, mm. look at some of the footage from the mid-80s when the bikes were getting yeah. really quick mm. Well, those were and the unlimited bikes. Big, big V-twins. Right. And, and well, you'd, yeah. you'd see like yeah. one of the original Africa twins or the KTM, the yeah. big KTMs. Just Can you imagine riding that? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard Jimmy Flat Lewis? Out? So what, what uh, Eliza has in her hand is the old BMW boxer yeah. motor. And mm-hmm. it's crazy when you hear Jimmy Lewis talk about racing one of those competitively because... He's probably really only one, one of the only people who've left the earth on that bike. And because, <laughs> because of the motor's orientation, it actually starts rotating like it, 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 in, in, in the air. It, like it, 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 uh, oh, it, it geeks out, you know, like it's, it's not yeah. in line like we're used to. Like it's, a bucket Bronco. It, yeah, it just starts, you know. So here's a question for you when you're like at the bivouac and you have this whole community and you get the car drivers and the truck drivers and the motorcycles. Does anyone talk to the quad guys? <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we have our answer. <laughs> no, they're too busy doing donuts in the parking lot. <laughs> we we had a couple quads racing Malimoto, and uh, man, they just did not. They don't jam. Um, when they're cleaning out their carburetors at eleven o'clock, and everybody's trying to sleep, and the, they're louder than our bikes. I mean, they just don't make. So even there, no, oh, yeah. it's the quad guys. Oh, it's the worst. Yeah. It's the worst. Yeah, because I believe your time is still better than the top 10 quad rider in the whole thing. I don't think so. I think they beat me. No, I was looking at times. Okay. I don't yeah. know. I, can, I don't want to claim anything because I... What, <laughs> were you 55 or something? What was it? I was 85th 80, overall. Yeah, I think you were still faster than hmm. the like number 9, 10 quads. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But they... Uh, they're still annoying. They're always. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, they're always. Same at Hollister Hills, yeah, too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. They're always broken down on the transfers and on the side of the road mm. trying to. Yeah, I, I, sh- I, I meant to take pictures of this guy's quad. He was racing Malimoto. And I mean, when he showed up, his grips were just duct tape. And I was like, how do you. I don't understand what you're doing. Like, I don't. Do you need grips? Like, I don't know. Anyway. Save, saving money? Yeah. So. so Go ahead. Yeah, when you're doing the the liaison, do you uh, do you have to do it in a particular amount of time, or can you, you get earlier and rest? Or? You can get there early and rest for sure, and definitely people, um, you know, go for their nature break. They go 130 to get there, and then disappear into the dunes and you know bring some supplies and do their do their thing. But um, yeah, if you start missing time control checks, it gets really expensive in time penalties. So that happened to somebody, um, you know, they, they missed their starting time at the bivouac, which is when you get handed your time card and when you get handed your road book. And those are the two holy grails for you the whole day. If you lose either one, I don't want to say your game's over, but the, the penalty for losing a time card is just off the chart. And if you lose your road book, you basically have to follow somebody else and you don't ever want to do that. So, um, yeah, as soon as you start missing time checks, it gets expensive and time penalties. Uh, and that was a goal of mine: is not to 
rack up too many penalties. And I think in the end I had 31 minutes and, you know, it's not much. It was fine for me based on me just surviving, but you know, some guys are getting 19 hours and 28 hours of penalties and it does, it doesn't take much. Once you get onto the back foot, it's a snowball, you know? Okay. Um, I want to get down to some nitty gritty. Um, how often do you, so let's think about a normal day for one of a better term. You start at sunrise. <laughs> so what time have you got actually gotten out of your tent for a start at sunrise? Well, usually we'd have to do somewhere between anywhere from 100 to 500 Ks to get to the start. Right. Ugh. So I just want to think. So you, you were out there for what? 15 days. <laughs> so let's just take a day. Oh, from the bivouac. Right? So yeah, let's take terrible. an average day. So let's take day eight. On day eight or day seven. Was that the day of the rain? What day did? What time did you get out of the tent? I couldn't sleep. I mean, I, you right. know, I, I, set, an, I set an alarm, but I, I was up early. And it's tricky because, because of my, you know, essentially poor result the day before, I would start last the next day. Okay. So what time but, was that start? But the semis are packing up. So they right. need your gear bag by... 4:45 a.m. Mm. at the latest, so I'd get up oh. at 3:30 or 4, and I'd start my day. Whether it's feeding myself, right, getting so, dressed, packing my dumb tent, packing my bag. Also, do you have to set up the tank and uh, the tent and so, break it? Also, yeah. mm-hmm. right. So, what did you have for breakfast? Uh, free, <laughs> freeze-dried airline catering food. They, right. Very good. Saudi Saudi Airlines was the was the catering food. And oh, the first couple of days, the first couple of days, you're like, "Oh, this isn't so bad." Well, by but the end of week is, two, all you it's want gruesome. some old inventory. All you want is tacos morenos. So you're dreaming like of tacos morenos <laughs> and, 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 and out the whole time. So you've eaten. Yeah. Now you're on your bike. First light, you're on your bike. Way before first light. We start, we start racing at first light. Start yeah. racing. So you get on your bike, and you've got to ride how far? Somewhere between two and four hours. To get to, to, the, to, get start. to, the, to get to the start. That's crazy. Now, it's the desert. There was, there was, like, there was one better there, was, there was one day where I think we started right at the bivouac or finished right at the bivouac, and it was a nice treat, you know? Okay, um, but, but normally... Yeah, normally it's, so it's just hellacious. Ma- it's the dumbest ha- thing you could ever do. How many times? No, I'm not done with you. Yeah. <laughs> how many times do you eat during the day? Uh, definitely definitely a huge breakfast and, you know, uh, two and a half, three dinners. And, and during the day, I was taking some California pistachios and little single-use uh, Right, so you're kind of eating as you're riding. And, well, you, eat, a, you, you eat, a, eat at gas stops and you eat you know before the stage starts and maybe you have a little energy block after right. but no real sustenance other than snacks and, until you and get back until you get back and so you'd finish the stage and depending on the stage but right. you'd be like oh i've only got to ride 380 k's back to the bivouac pasta in the dark and okay get killed mm. but get so, killed by a saudi national on the wait, road. So, so you'd but you would end and still have to ride back to, the k's back to yeah. and then back again in the morning so yes. when when they Jeez. say when they say yeah, so you know 8,900 kilometers for the whole event. Like half of that is liaisons and, sure, ha- and half of that is racing. So okay. you don't, nobody, um, 
I want to talk about people need to understand that that <laughs> that that is a huge part of it. Staying warm, right? You're in the dunes all day. You get all sweaty and cold. Then you jump on the pavement. It's dark, and you freeze to death because you're soaked to the bone right. because you picked up your bike six times. Right. So, um, um, okay, we're going to talk about bathroom breaks now. <laughs> Because no, and this is a this uh, oh, yeah. is a I very got, I, got, I got stories. What do you I, mean? I know you got stories. Before bathroom breaks, how about water? So, well, well, yes. The yeah. rule is you carry three liters on your back, That's it. and and uh, you can drink it at will. Yeah, I have a little. Yeah. yeah. So water's the easy part. But you can refill it at gas stops. Oh, okay. Bathroom breaks now. Um, we we everyone goes pee pee everyone goes poo poo and it's very very there's nothing forget the water forget the water <laughs> it's nothing more embarrassing I'm gonna drop it there's deuce. nothing more embarrassing than getting out of the main line right like as far as you think you can go for some privacy yes and stripping down yes and bending it over yes and the and the car leaders come through and so do the helicopters oh god. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh, and really? you're, you're literally right in the middle of it, and you're just like, oh, I'm on. I'm, Hello. That yeah. might make it onto TV. Okay. At least don't get, at least don't get I, run over like that. That'd I, be a hell of a way was, to go. I, I, thought I, was, I thought I was removed from the situation, and the helicopter can really uh, change that. I, I actually was going to ask. I mean, I'm sure you stopped to go... Mm-hmm. For a number two, mm-hmm. number one, are you set up that you just go? Yeah, it. Um, you don't even. I had stop. days where, like, I drink a bunch of water at the gas stop, and I had to pull pull over four times to pee. And it, it's hard when you're on the clock to be like, oh, I just, right, I just, exactly. I can't think though. I have to get this out. And uh, yeah, I had two two number twos on the race course, and I, <laughs> and I almost took pictures of them just to be like, you know, like, like, you, know you see, we are. We ask the question. Too, too, too much journalism. Too much information. <laughs> no, absolutely no, not, because we need to know. I mean, you guys <laughs> are out there. So Emma needs to know. Well, inquiring minds. Inquiring minds, because it's... The, 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 the photo is, one was... Yeah. The thing is, you get involved in just the sheer glamour of this right. race, because you get the shots from the helicopter, <laughs> you get shots of the racing, and you don't realize what's going on behind mm. the scenes, mm. because these guys have to stop and eat, they have to stop and use the bathroom break there i never even realized that there's such a huge ride between the bivouac and the start and finish line so what starts off as a monumental achievement kind of metamorphosizes into almost this insurmountable achievement yeah so I think it's just especially, fantastic. Yeah, especially after a hot cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah, yeah. can you imagine? Well, you've got to think about it. You've got Ooh. to think, okay, we've got some Saudi airline food here and a hot cup of coffee. <laughs> I'm going to have to stop in like yeah. three hours. 100 miles on a thumper. <laughs> I mean, usually in Mexico, you know, you're, you're when you're doing races down there, you're on the on your body. You're, yeah, you're, it's your rear, tough. Your rear mainsail can let go pretty easily. Yeah, right? I was going to say. And so keeping it, together, <laughs> keeping it together over there was... Definitely. Bring extra O-rings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I, I got a question. So speaking of achievements, so uh, I believe I have this right. You're the first. You were the second American to complete to compete in Mali. Uh, not and to complete first, it. Not compete. Right. Complete. To complete, complete it. Yeah. Yeah. Well and done. And the first American born. Yes. Well done. So you said you went with five people. Five, five so, of us on the American Rally original team. What happened to all of them? How did uh, they do? Our team historian and catalyst for this whole scenario, Kyle McCoy, he dragged his ankle through one of the 
garbage truck ruts a kilometer from the finish on (laughs) stage three or four and just had a clean break so which where where exactly uh like which part which bone broke his ankle his ankle okay Um, and he's already had surgery he's home uh a little bit of a side note but i I was really stressed out about going over there without what i would call a handler and the the handler was Mm -hmm. A way for somebody to just pick me up by the scruff of the neck, put me on the plane, and fly me home if something happened. And I have a lot of respect for the ASO at this point. Their medical team and staff and all that is 100% on point. And if you get hurt, they fly you home business class with with a a, a rep or a yeah. nurse or Something. whatever. And, and our guys chose a babysitter. Not, a babysitter. And our guys said, "Look, if you can get my bags checked, you don't need to fly with me." And yeah. so Kyle flew home. He was the first one out, and then my teammate David Pearson, he was kind of our, I want to say manager, but he, he definitely carried the torch for us and was the face of our team for social media and fundraising. He, uh, See the one who was featured in the Red Bull uh, piece? That might have been Paul. Uh, David, I think it was. David yeah. was featured as well, but in terms of how they went out, David did his neck in. Yeah. And he collapsed in the meta- he collapsed at the food tent around nine thirty at oh. night, and uh, and they pulled him out of the race. And he he did something to it in the dunes. He also had some pre existing stuff with that, but mm-hmm. the dunes did him in, and he got pulled. And then um, what happened next? Paul Neff from the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. really good rider. You know, won the Desert One Hundred. He's a medalist from the six days I've heard that name yeah, before, yeah very talented rider he essentially had a freak mechanical um you know if some of these rfs lovers will know but like the stator got loose in the case and that's the short story but troubleshooting it to that took him 36 hours and four batteries and he was on the bike for 24 hours oh. in the rain and, and he made it back to the bivouac and then it was Kind of turned into this Red Bull moment, and all the cameras showed up, and he's like, "Oh, they missed three waypoints, and they're going to let me continue." And and so there's two things there: there's the ASO and the IFM, and one of them told Paul he could continue, and in the end, that wasn't totally true, but it didn't matter. He uh, he wadded up pretty hard in the dunes, racing a guy from Italy, and they both crashed at the same time, going over the same dune, not into each other, but just blind in, into yeah. the next dune, and. There's pictures of him airborne. I mean, he was flying. He was he was on the gas, and uh, mm. so then it was David's brother Jim, and I don't know if you saw the footage of the water, but he yes. sucked a bunch of water into his motor and blew his motor up, Ooh. and then he spent mm. he missed the race the next day. Wanted to continue to support me like a good teammate, like kind of be not water uh, water boy. We use the term water boy. I think it's derogatory, <laughs> right? But he was going to shadow me for anything I needed. And so he spent 6,000 euros on a new motor from KTM. Wow. Took him about an hour to put it in. And then he blew that motor up. Ugh. He made it He made Ugh. it to gas. Uh, I saw him at the gas stop the next day. And then I didn't see him again. And uh, there's something going on with his breather hose. Because um, it was pulling. So I don't know enough. But... At that point, it was I was like, I'm by myself. Like, I, I, you know, you do all this, you do all this. Like, the only thing that mattered, or not the only thing, but the most important thing was getting to the finish line. So you envision that, right? Like, you, you picture it in your head. You have some positive thinking, and you picture those people around you. And I'm like, right. yeah. I'm, I'm. A, well, I'm, you're the face of the team now. 
Yeah, what a bad news. <laughs> so, <laughs> terrible news for everybody. So, so when you say team, though, is it a team just because you're Americans? Or yeah. is there some yeah. organization yeah. that sponsors it? Or um, No, we just went with the approach that the more we throw at the wall, the more that will stick. Since no American had ever finished that class, we just said... Between the five of us, if you combine us all, we're actually a good rider, you know. But it's like having a party. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like that Transformers thing. No, well, yeah. In- individually, I mean, you know, I didn't have the speed, but Paul had the speed, and uh, I don't know. It goes on and on. But oh, wait, I, wait, what about your checkmate? Did he co- did he come or? Yeah, he finished. Yeah, uh, he, he finished. was the one who no, finished, finished before him. That's why yep. he's not so, so the first. But he's the first American, but not American born. Correct. And you are the first American. Yeah, born. I don't want to be like that. I mean, we we <laughs> yeah, he, but, uh, yeah, we did it we did it together, and he's. It's and a he, team effort. He was nothing but a teammate to me that whole time. You know, he, oh, that's just the greatest thing. Yeah, I, you know, he he did it first, and I, I, I can't take that away from anybody, and it's all good. So, just curious, I'd like to see to know a little more about the ugly side of this. We already talked about pooping, yeah, Liza. When you're talking about, you know, when you're seeing the videos and stuff, they're just showing all the good side. But I'm like, did you see, like, were there fights erupting in the bivouac? Was there injuries? Did you have any injuries? I've heard of people who had to ride with, like, broken hands. And no, it's like, I was pretty good. I got injured before I left riding my two stroke. And that didn't help me the first couple of days on the rocks, but maybe it helped me get to the finish, just slowing down a little bit. Um, my, my hands were pretty beat up. I mean, there, this is still competitive. I mean, are, was is it all like everyone's helping each other and everyone's great, yeah, or is it a it, lot? No, it's you know the the original by Motul class. Yeah. You know, basically we were sat down in the beginning by a guy named uh, John, I think I'm going to say it right, John Pedrero. He's from Spain and he's usually in the top fifteen and he doesn't have his factory ride anymore. So somehow he was racing out of the OBM area. He must have worked out a deal with the organization and stuff, but he was racing in the premier class, but he was like mentoring us and he sat us all down and he's like, look, this is the biggest team at Dakar. Like you all help each other. It doesn't matter what's next out of your mouth. Like we look out for each other. We help each other. And that proved true. You know, we, um, the biggest team there. So, I mean, in the end there was only 15 of us and, um, you know, all those people are friends for life. I mean, you, you've done something together and suffered through some of the most miserable soft sand and rocks, you know, that you can ever imagine. So, you know, the guys who left the race early, I don't think they know it was at the end. And so it's a little different, you know. Um, so I, I'm, I'm curious after you're uh, about the uh, the empty quarter, mm-hmm. right? So had your teammate mates kind of already kind of left at that point jim was still in the mix and that's when he blew up his second motor okay and he had missed a stage like he he came up to me in the dunes with his fresh motor and he was like i'm feeling good and i'm like yeah you took yesterday off you know and (laughs) and like half a day the day before like i'd love to feel bad for you but you've been on vacation you know and um and he didn't last long either so yeah i was at the empty quarter can you talk about that, like the vastness of it, and like your mental state this, of mind, and like apparently, I mean, I've been watching the um, now that I'm trying to catch up on the race because I don't really know what happened. <laughs> you know, they're calling it the most uninterrupted expanse of desert on the planet, and it sure feels and looks like that. I mean, even just dr- riding on the paved road, you're look you're looking around, going, "Oh, 
what is going on out here? <laughs> and right over that border is Oman, and right over that border is, you know, the United Arab Emirates and their service to air missiles on this side of the fence pointing that way, and their service to air missiles on the other side of the fence pointing back, and you're like, okay, like this is security's pretty high. There's a lot of uh, machine guns mounted to pick up trucks and um you Not know, what I, I was can... imagining when I asked when I asked the question. <laughs> well, it, it, it's it's very raw. I mean, there's yeah. there's no tracks out there. There's no like. Yeah. It just seems so vast. The dunes so large, mm-hmm. and it all kind of messes with your head. And I would imagine after a few hours, like I... navigating, and or maybe the lines just appear. I is don't it know. comparable in any way to the dunes that you've experienced here in Northern America, or is it just camera angles? Um, definitely, there's nothing that big in terms of acres in anywhere in North America. So. With that comes uh, varying dune fields, and I've never ridden in sand that soft before. The stage thirteen, I mean, you just let out your clutch and you go down to the hub. It didn't on flat ground, not up, not down. And you'll see some of that, like if you saw Skylar Howes do the no footer and then bury it in the yeah. sand. And yes. then when he's trying to get going, uh-huh. when he's trying to get going again, like that getting going again scenario is you're burning twice the fuel that you normally would. So fuel consumption was basically times two in that stuff. And um, Mm. it's just, it's just very vast and very open and there's, um, there's there's nothing out there. There's no way to survive. Did you have any opportunity during the 15 days of riding to kind of relax your thoughts or is it so demanding it's demanding so much concentration from you because i mean i know physically it can be it it is incredibly demanding but mentally if it's demanding as well all the time my experience with rally racing is your body just goes into submission after about three days and it gets used to what you're doing to it right and this was the same there's you're so exhausted that you don't even have time to. You're almost to, in survival to, to break, mode. Oh, I was. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I don't know if I can't speak for everybody, but, but. I. Uh, you're battling all of your inner demons. <laughs> you're right. battling all of your outer demons. You're, right. you know, you're just trying to survive for sure. Wow. So, I mean, it seemed. Did you have any time to interact with your teammates? It seems like yeah. everybody's coming in at different times. Yeah, I, I was pretty late and and last to leave, so. Uh, some of the guys looked after me when I'd come in, they're like, here's some food and what do you need? And, you know, we, we were good that way, but the, you know, in the end there was nobody left. So it got a lot quieter for me and, uh, I could focus a little bit more, which was nice, but yeah, everybody's super encouraging. Even non-team members, you'd come in and you'd get the pat on the back. I'm like, that was a hard one. I'm like, yeah, I know. You know, (laughs) there were some tough stages. There was some really tough, uh, you know, the, Last year, 2022, the entire race distance-wise, we'd done at the rest day. So six stages to go, we had done the entire year's distance. So this year was quite quite a uh, you know challenge compared to the past couple of years. Can you talk about the the day it was really wet? It doesn't yeah. narrow it down. There was well, <laughs> well, talk about that in general. We only saw snippets of it, mm. I think, on the highlights, but it looked crazy, like wet cement and stuff. It which, looked wild. Which stage? Well, actually, let me. I'd yeah. like to play off of that. One days. of the things I thought was cool too, and I want to get your kind of inside information on it. The day that they said because there's so much rain, it's too wet, it's too dangerous. We're giving the bikes a day yeah. off. Well, that's the night that Paul got in at three in the morning. And, you know, we're meant to be leaving at 4 a.m. to start a stage. And so what they did is they canceled the stage for bikes. 
for safety reasons. And at 10 a.m., we did a 500-kilometer liaison. Right. No no racing, just go ride from San Francisco to L.A. Yeah. on the pavement in yeah. the rain, in the wind, and <laughs> and then spend the night in a tent with a bunch of smelly people because your tent can't go on the ground because it's so wet there. So what they did is instead of using that bivouac as a actual bivouac, they made us just sleep there. There were no oh. real vehicles allowed to go in there other than race vehicles. And um not sure if I'm answering your question, but I mean it was it was so well, wet. Like you you like the gas trucks would get stuck and then we couldn't get gas. I mean it, wow. it just it just the stuff you can only you can't even write some of this stuff. Well, my, my specific question was, was that something that they offered up or was there some behind the scenes like the bikers going like, we can't do this? Was the, there a protest? There, there was definitely, you know, the, the what do you say? The team directors definitely can start squeaking and get heard. And I think that okay. I think that some of the Austrian brands, KTM Gas Gas, Husqvarna, mm-hmm. and then the KT, KTM Satellite Factory team, Bazda Car, were like, hey, we're getting to the part where this isn't safe. And they were like, yeah. we recognize, you know, and, and it's not like it was a big push to make them hear that. They're like, that makes sense. And, you know, they don't do it until the last second. So we didn't know until probably 8 PM that night that they were going to cancel the stage. But if they, if they could have written a road book and gotten us back to the bivouac without getting lost for hours, you know, maybe it would have been different. So it was a little bit on them too, on the org. I mean, the, yeah. And then I think, I think what Jim was asking or what I want to know, how did you do the water crossing? Like the ones we saw where they're having to like cars were getting stuck yeah, and the trucks just, are dragging. Just, How'd you get through that? Just don't, uh, chin, don't. chin to the tin. I mean, don't give up. <laughs> yeah. Like just, just do not slow down. I mean, that's, oh. that's where Jim lost his motor. I don't know yeah. if he slowed down or found a rut or what, but I also don't know if I got through there before something really spiked in terms of water level. Um, but it was deep. I'm telling you, I mean, I, the water air filter is strategically placed really high on those motors. And I think that if I'd been on a standard enduro bike with it on the side, like we're used to, you know, like the RFS, you know, placement of an air filter, Mm -hmm. it would have been underwater and the air filter on these things is really up high. Yeah. So talk about your bike a little bit. How did it do throughout the whole I got really lucky. I, um, you know, when you finish a race like this, you go over the finish line podium and there's, you know, some, they give you those medals and then they take your bike and they lock it up for five hours. Yeah, park for me. Park for me. And I was like, I need my bike. Like, I got to take my shock off it and fly. And they're like, you touch your bike, you're disqualified. I'm like, okay. So you come back at, you come back at 5.30 PM. I go back at 5.30 PM and my bike would not start. I mean, oh. I, that's how lucky I think I mm. I was with my bike. So I, given it's a rental, if you blow a motor, is it your responsibility or theirs? Um... <laughs> Not sure. Uh, I'm glad I didn't have to buy a motor. Uh, <laughs> I bet. You know, I, I mean, the, you know, I would have, I would have done the right thing, whatever that is. But uh, and maybe I own my motor. I mean, if I do, if it don't start, maybe I don't know. I haven't gotten that far. <laughs> but it'll it goes on the ferry and it goes back to France and then it goes to the Netherlands and then I'll probably get my bill for whatever I did to that thing. Um, well, I want to start wrapping wrapping this up because we have more to talk about. But um, I wanted to ask, who's your favorite racer? <laughs> Good question. Um, gosh, you know, because everybody loves pricey. Toby never <laughs> fails to amaze me. Yeah, um, there it is. I, I um, if you know, if I had one person I would want to go talk to, it'd probably be Toby. But yeah. I'm also a big Ross Branch fan. Like you've never seen that guy. It doesn't matter 
what's broken or how many times his bike has failed. He's always all good news and smiles. And, you know, he won a couple stages after some real dismal days in the beginning. And um, I am a huge Andrew Short fan. He was navigating on a side-by-side this year. But, um, yeah, Toby's, Toby's probably my pick, I'd have to say. He's, he's a legend. In the vein of, of wrapping it up, yeah, uh, we were talking a little bit before you left. We were hanging out in your garage. And you had said, I just want to finish. Yeah, that was I the goal. just want to make it to the end. <laughs> Alive. <laughs> Alive. Yeah. You have. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. At what point did it feel like, oh, I did it? Well, uh, you know, so stage 14, the last stage, you you hear that it's just a ceremonial beach procession. And it's not gnarly. It's not hard. It's a safety thing nothing can really change and they do the last day in a reverse start so because i'm not very fast i basically started in and they started us in a line of five every two minutes so i got like i don't know sixth to last the day before so i was in the second wave of five essentially opening the track and leading out and it rained all night (laughs) it was the greasiest slipperiest thing ever like if you watch stage 14 highlights and you see people off in the mud and stuff yeah it's horrible i'm very lucky to have finished that stage or the race i just got goosebumps oh yeah it was the i've never oh just unreal And I get and my bike so full of mud at one point, my front wheel wouldn't rotate. And if you let out your clutch, the rear wheel would just spin, and you just kind of go sideways. Oh. And and I just was just very lucky to have gotten through that. So um, it wasn't even over. It wasn't there wasn't any celebrating even with like three kilometers to go. You know, like yeah. you can be emotional before the start and you can think, yeah, I'm almost there. But like that couldn't have been any of a bigger un- test than the last day. Until you cross that finish yeah. line. You, Dude, you, as, as you're plowing sideways well, in the mud. <laughs> not quite the poster you had on the yeah. wall as a kid. I mean, I would think of Kyle. I'm like, Kyle bit it one kilometer before the finish. Like, mm-hmm. do not. Yeah. Do not lose your focus. Well, right. and I wanted to thank you for responding. Uh, I I was reaching out to you before you had even gotten home. Yeah, that's, right. that's true. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, who is this guy? I need yeah. to hunt him down. Yeah. And find him and uh, get him in here. I appreciate and, that. And he's but, here. <laughs> and you brought the medals. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So thank those you. That so I mean, yeah. those feel good. I mean, yeah. they're heavy. They're yeah. real. I didn't know I was getting two of them. That, that <laughs> yep. is so cool. So, I mean, con- congratulations. No, I think on, it's, it's on, the most wonderful thing. Thank you. And thank you. thank you so much for being so candid about it. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very easy. And, we, you know, we've had um, winning races in here, and they're like, yes, I won. Yeah, it's great. But well, I, to, didn't, I didn't win. But <laughs> to talk. And our minds you have. Or, yeah, but yeah. nevertheless, you finished. Yeah. And believe me, finishing the Dakar is incredible. At our age, we race against ourselves. But the point. Yeah. But to talk about what you've been through and mm. the less glamorous aspects of it, oh. I think it's just the most wonderful thing. I mean, you were abs- You were every inch a champion. Thank you. Every inch a champion. There's so much more. I mean, I mean, I'm so slow. I, I basically I got passed by a truck with two camels in it. It just goes on and on. It's just at so least much. you didn't get passed by the camels. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we may have to have another, another yeah. comeback yeah. episode yeah. for the de- the fine yeah. details. Um, I have a final question. I mean, I know we're wrapping things up. The the Dakar Rally famously kind of metamorphosized out of the Paris Dakar Rally. Mm-hmm. 
how much is the French influence still there right oh, now? Oh, it's a hundred. It's, it's, it's basically it's a French rally, isn't it? It's a, it, everyone's invited. The Malay, uh, yeah, a lot of champagne. I mean, yes, not in Arabia, probably. <laughs> it's it's very yeah. French. It, mostly it's oui. Seva and you yeah. know Bonjour and yeah. everything. Very international. English is not the primary language. The br- course briefings at in the evening for the next day's race are held in French. You know, there's translating headphones <laughs> yeah. you wear to decipher. Uh, uh, all that stuff. Bon, that so next, wow. next year, if you were given the choice, would you ride a bike or drive one of the VW vintage bombers? Mm, gosh, those. Uh, so I, I have a. I have, <laughs> That's a, a good choice. Yeah, <laughs> I'd stick to bikes. But I, there's an <laughs> okay. ex Dakar bike finisher named Bill Conger, and he mm-hmm. navigates in um, in one of the Dakar classics. And I, I have some pictures of it. I'll show you. But I looked inside of it, and I was like. This suspension doesn't look like it's gonna get gonna get, it's gonna hurt it's, it's gonna hurt your back, you know. I, I must admit, as a certified coward and complete wuss, the only way I would ever consider doing anything like the Dakar in the is in in a is in a Tatra truck, yeah. eight wheel drive that's the size of a city block. Yeah, and I think with it, bathroom included. Yes, exactly. With a bathroom right behind me, so every two hours on I the hour I can go back and have suicide a suicide seat in the middle. Yeah, yeah that's. That's the way to do it. Do you know why there's three people in those things? Why? No, tell me. Just to change a tire. Oh. I can only imagine. They weigh 300, 400 oh. pounds each. And that's they're, you know, that's they're a good to, reason. They're up to here when you're standing. Oh, gosh. So what's, like when they flip so, them over. So what's next? I'm going to ride to Tierra del Fuego. No, that's the wrong answer. What do you mean? What's next? The naked ride. I coached you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's after Tierra del Fuego. It was, it was yesterday. Wasn't I think you got your answer. No, Tierra del Fuego. You have got 364 days before the next naked ride, so pack in as much as you can before then. You don't want to do it right after Dakar. That's when everybody's the coldest. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing that story. Thank you. Um, We have another thing we're going to cover right now, and you might find this very interesting. So this was a couple months ago. I saw an article that um, interested me. It's not a a big thing, but it was... um, this uh, article says Mac Double Up Brit firm introduces second single cylinder model, and it's just a it's a it's a Chinese company. I looked it it's up. A it's a Chinese thing. company. It's yes, a thing, of right? course. So, but it's called a Brit firm. So it's a British company that is you making a a bike that is powered by an SWM. I'm I'm going to give and, you. A top tip. What's that? Never trust a Brit. Yeah. Um, and SWMs, if, if you're not familiar with, are basically the, the – it's an old Husqvarna right. bike that's now produced by a Chinese company going into a British bike. And I yes. thought, well, this is really funny. You got a little bit of everything in there, right? And it, and it got me thinking about the DNA of, of bikes, right? Um, in fact – I did my own DNA test because, you know, we were talking about this and I said, (laughs) is this your personally or your bike? Well, no, my personal, I did my own DNA. I know you did. Because, you know, uh, is there, is there such a thing as a 100% American bike or 100% Japanese bike, right? Or... Mm. 100% anything is, are any humans 100% anything? So I did mine and I found out that I am, Extremely white. Um, <laughs> no shit. And privileged. Uh, 
I am 99.9% European. Yeah, 98.8% Northwestern European. I think you're leaning Viking. I might be more British than you, Emma. Just based on your softball I'm skills. I'm 50%, 56% <laughs> that's more British. Than, that's more than me. I might be more than you. Um, but then I got this random um, 1% Greek and Balkan. Hmm. Balkan. I'm like, that's interesting. And maybe a, a 0.1% broadly Southern European. <laughs> broadly Southern. It's kind of interesting, Italy. right? I, yeah, I don't, I don't know what that means. I can see the Italian. Oh, oh and you're, I got a 0.1%. Siberian, you have you have Rus- you have Russian toenails. Your one toenail is Russian. The little the little toenails. So yeah, I'm British. Twenty five percent German, twelve percent Scandinavian. Well, you do I like mean, marching. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought that was interesting, but then yeah, it got me thinking good. about our bikes. And what if we gave our bikes a DNA test? What would it come out, right? So, well, I ride American. You, so I asked uh, a bunch of misfits. <laughs> Never trust a wanker. You love life. I asked a bunch of misfits to do a DNA test on their bikes. Yes. Um, so I'll go first, just kind of set set the tone of what we're talking about. So I chose my KTM 690 Enduro. KTM, you like KTMs, right? Stands for costs too much. Um, I've, I've got that 701 version. I love it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, Mo, if you had to guess... How much Austrian is in my KTM 690? Hmm. I bet you there's a lot of Swedish proprietary, you know, when they bought Husaberg. I wonder how much of that transferred over. Ooh, I don't know. I didn't even get that. Yeah. So by my math, my bike is 65.498% Austrian. No, is that really? by mass? Yes. That's a lot. What's the other bit? Very well, precise. Uh, 10% Italian. Ciao. Three percent German, two percent Netherlands, thirteen percent Japanese, point five percent American. That's wow, probably, that's probably just the computer. Four percent Czech Republican, two percent Switzerland, and point oh oh two percent Chinese. So the two percent from is... that part I bought on AliExpress and yes. put on the foot peg. Wait a minute, yeah. did you make those <laughs> calculations or? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 I did, I did. So I can, I can tell you. Um, when I looked at like the brake systems, uh, the discs, the calipers, uh, master cylinder, Brembo. <clears throat> Italian, mm. right? Ciao. Right? Um, my can, can anybody else guess what Switzerland? Uh, it's oil. Yes. Yes, exactly. Motorex, of course, yes. Because it comes with Motorex oil. Oh, Oops, sorry. Breaking stuff. Um, my that was his shin. My clutch master cylinder is a company called Magura. It's mm-hmm. mm. German. German, yeah. Yeah. exactly. Um, and this was interesting. The KTM shocks WP suspension. Yeah, that should be that should be Austrian. Get closer to the mic when you talk. Oh, sorry. It Austrian. should be. Yeah. But where does WP suspension White come power. from? <laughs> Stop it. Where does it come from? That was the Netherlands. That was a company that came out uh, of the Netherlands yeah, that true. they that's bought true. and brought in house and moved uh, the factory into to mm-hmm. Austria. Uh, DID rims and and chain. Japan. Japan, exactly. That's where I get that from. USA. So I gave this uh, 0.5%. The tires? USA. Wait, the tires? No. Saddle cover? 
No. <laughs> Tires um, are actually uh, Mitis? Mitis or Mitis? Yeah, sure. Yes. Czech Republic. Hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, I found out, and I went deep in this. There's two oil pumps in the 690, and those are from a company called Eaton. That is a USA company. They make oil pumps for all sorts of machinery. Well, and they, funnily enough, they also make superchargers for Ford Mustangs. Stuff like that. So that's the USA oil <coughs> pumps. Um, mm-hmm. a slipper cl- the slipper clutch is Italy. Um, oh, uh, the Bosch ABS system. Jamen. Jamen, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that uh, Bosch. And I even went so deep. I was telling Jim. Uh, I was looking up things like the relays on like eBay so I could zoom in on the pictures because I was like, oh, it could be Bosch. It could be Nippon, like a lot of people. So the relays are Japanese. Uh, d- 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 uh, didn't get the, the brand. Um, yeah, so there you go. I've got Austra- Austrian, Italian, Germany, Netherlands, Japan, USA, Czech Republic, Swiss, and China because of the... Just like how, so. how did you make the conversion from these uh, companies' places to the percentage? Ah, my math? I guessed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes. Same, yes. Same way I would have done um, it. No, just I, I, like, I told everyone to come up with their own. You could. I was like, do you go by mass? Do you go by weight? Yes. I'm like, eh, you know, I, I, like, I attributed um, the... So the whole brake system, uh, 10% of the bike, right? You know? I don't know. I just did a guess. And I just want to remind you, Liza, there are no kangaroos in Austria. So, yeah. Emma. (coughs) Yes. How about you? You did? So I did my Harley Davidson Superglide. Yeah. That's pure uh, America right there. Yeah, it is America. Thank you very much. Um, Unfortunately, the list betrays a different story. (laughs) So um, in... Fairness to Harley Davidson, um, the tins, the bodywork, the seat, the frame, um, and most of the engine is actually American. Um, however, the bearings in the engine, most notably the main bearings, are by SKF, which are German. Mm. The clutch plates are by Sachs, which are Austrian. The spark plugs are NGKs, which are Japanese. Mm-hmm. The ECU, because remember, mine's fuel-injected, yeah. is by a company called Vallejo, which is actually... For the motorcycle is based in Hungary. Cool. Um, the forks are showers, which are Japanese. The rear shocks are also showers, but they're based in Indonesia. Oh. The tires are Michelin's, which are Spaniards. <laughs> the brake pads in mine are golfers, because I put them in, and they're Spaniards. Um, the headlight, I've got an ancient CV Marshall headlight in it, which of course is French. The battery <laughs> is a Yuasa, which is Japanese. The paint. Because remember, I painted it. I painted it with glazurite paint, which is German. (laughs) However, the graphics I used are from the good old USA. They were made in Oregon. Um, The mirrors, um, I used um, drag specialties mirrors. So, of course, they're made in good old China. (laughs) And the speedometer was made by Mitsubishi, which is Japanese. Because it's got an electronic speed. So what percentage American kind is of, your bike? Um, now, I did an incredibly complex calculation uh-huh. in my head. And I figured out that my Harley-Davidson Superglide is about 56% American. Ooh. Ooh. By volume. Fairly. By volume. Wow. All right. Who wants to go next? <laughs> I'll go. All right. Which bike did you do? 
I did the tri- my Triumph huh. 800XRT. That's very that's that's British. That's as British as I am, darling. Yeah, I know. I'm a little afraid to do this in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, <clears throat> well, it was designed in Britain, for sure. It was, uh, <laughs> 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 it was made in uh, Thailand. Oh. So, um, and I, I couldn't get to all the details, but I assume mm-hmm. that frames are put together there and all those things. So... Uh, front brakes are uh, what's interesting is Brembo, uh-huh. but uh, Brembo are designed in Italy, but I couldn't tell the difference. It was either manufactured in Michigan or Mexico. Oh, so Brembo has a um, has a fab in Mexico. <coughs> <It's the same>. uh, <laughs> what? No, same thing. Same thing. Same thing. Okay. <laughs> Nissan uh, is a rear. Uh, with plants in Ohio, Georgia, USA, Mexico, Brazil, India, Indonesia, Thailand, yeah. Vietnam, and China. So, take your pick there. Vietnam. It's a mutt. It's like getting it to pound. <laughs> yeah. Pound show, bike. Show of suspension, uh, Japanese. Yeah. Uh, Metzler Torrance tires are from Germany. Mm. Uh, Bosch. So, the the um, the uh, uh, traction control is Bosch, but Bosch Rexroth, which is a company that oh. they bought, uh, designed in Germany, made in Mexico. Hmm. And the rims are Excel rims, which are made in Japan. So, and one other thing I did, I thought about like, hey, what, uh, if there was a celebrity that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. was that this was this bike, the person that popped into my mind is uh, uh, former Mrs. Tom Brady, Giselle <laughs> Bunchen. So, you know, says she's Brazilian, but she's really German. Um, and, <laughs> and so, you, you know, so she's, she's claiming Brazil, like the Triumph claims Italy, or England, but really, you know, she has parts from, uh, from Europe. That's interesting because <clears throat> when I did the genetics on on mine, I found out it my bike is a distant cousin to Harrison Ford. Really? Yeah, and <laughs> that it shares some of the same DNA with the drink Sex on a Beach. Really? Yeah, because it'll go anywhere, get there. <laughs> Just like yeah, mm-hmm, okay. There we go. Yeah, so, okay. similar DNA. Um, so, yeah. what percentage British but, uh, is your bike? Would you say? Oh man, I'm, I'm going to give them. Ten percent just for the design. <laughs> okay. It's only ten percent for the font oh, wow. to the logo. Emma, close your ears. Sorry, wow. Am I off base there or what? No, I think that's about fair. Wow. Where, like... where does the chrome come from? Uh, for, well, that would be from Thailand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no chrome. There is no chrome on it. There is no, on no it. chrome oh, on that bike. That would you like sad. to know what my hardest distant cousin is? Yeah. Yeah. Burt Reynolds. Oh, no. yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. So. Jim. Yes. Oh. Yeah. yeah. I'd ride Bert you did your Africa twin? Yeah, so I thought I'd do the Africa twin. And it's I'm Japanese gonna, all the I'm way, gonna, right? Yeah, I'm going to try to see if I can do a sound thing so it probably won't work. <laughs> oh, here we go. Yeah. What? It sounds like gibberish. Yeah. That's Japanese <laughs> for pure. Oh, <laughs> oh, no. Come on. Yeah. I was not, up. No, no, no. I was not going to try to say it because it would be horrible. So, but anyway, so I was curious about the Africa Twin, and I'm like, ooh, I wonder if something's made in Brazil. I wonder if something's made in Thailand. And um, so I started checking into it. And I think as we talk about other motorbikes, it's one of the flagship models. It's a flagship bike, so it doesn't surprise me mm. at all. So uh, as like that, as just like what is it? The Nighthawk 250 is also right. Mm-hmm. But um, so everything for the most part, or actually everything I could find is made in Japan. So wow. engine obviously, and it's fun. You can watch videos and putting the engine, the whole bike together actually. <clears throat> so but you think about it, right? And you're like a uh, Shawa suspension. What is it? Mm-hmm. Nissan brakes? Is that how you say it? Yeah. Nissan brakes. Um, 
and then I went through like the uh, like the parts catalogs and yeah. stuff, and everything seems to be genuine Honda, and for the most part, made in Japan. It seems like. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know, like bearings or fork seals or things like that. No, I, th- I think you're probably going to be right on the money. Yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised by that. So it is fully full on Japanese. Wow. So yeah, I think that's it. Um, well, well, and any distant relatives? Well, here's the connection to Africa. You'd asked that earlier. Yeah. So there is a distinct thing about the Africa twin that absolutely connects it to Africa. Emma, you know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you you're describe talking. it. It's much no, more. no, no, no. So it has something to do with the exhaust note. So if you listen to the exhaust note of the Africa Twin... And it's very de- deliberate. It mm. was actually done that way. Especially There's if you pull the... Is there metal in the cat that came from Africa? Oh, I, I don't... Yeah, no, it's, Probably. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> lion. It's lion roar. They bottled it in there. But especially if you pull the baffles out. But no, at certain times, um, as, you're, as you're running the bike, it will sound like a drumming sound. It, like sounds, like a tri- it sounds like a tribal drum. Yep. Mm. And it was a very deliberate. They got the pop, 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 pop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it was fun. So anyway, there's the connection there. Other than that, it's uh, yeah, onigashimasu, all the way. Wow. All right, bagel. Tell me the Vespa yes. is purely yes, bagel, please. Purely uh, Italian. <laughs> well, the 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 Vespa that I used is my 2010 Vespa GTS 300. And uh, it is not 100% Italian, what? but it is. But I would say it is pretty close. Let me let me start with the non-Italian parts first. Okay. Um, the O2 sensor is made by a company called Tyco, which is owned by Johnson Controls, which I believe is an American company. Yes, it is. Um, there's uh, the coil is made by a company called Beru from Germany, uh, although it's branded as Magneti Morelli. So, so you, it, but it's made in Germany, so that. That has to count as German. Uh, the fuel pump was made in Czechia. Uh, the Uasa battery is made in Japan, I believe, at least. Uh, the drive belt is made by Hitachi, also Japanese. Uh, there were a few Chinese parts that I found. Uh, the stator is made in China. Um, the injector, I believe, is made in China, but could not confirm. And I suspect that the shocks may be from China as well. The, the stock shocks oh. on the GCS 300 were not that great. Um, the wheels on this one were made in Italy, but later Vespas, oh, actually other Vespas uh, were made, uh, had wheels made in China as well. Um, the CVT transmission is largely made by TGB out of Taiwan. And the tires that were on there originally uh, were Pirelli's, which I believe were made somewhere in Eastern Europe. Huh. Uh, but they also uh, equipped them with Savas made in Croatia <coughs> or Michelin's made in Serbia. So uh, those are not Italian. And then uh, India makes the coolant hoses and I think a few other rubber parts. <laughs> just um, a few, but, just a few things. <laughs> yeah, but those are all tiny little parts. the The entire frame uh, and the bodywork, all the plastics and the seat are all made in Italy. All the electrical components, well, just about all the electrical components, I should say, including the lights, the ECU, are made by Italian companies like Magneti Morelli, uh, CEV, uh, Trio M. And uh, the wiring, I'm not sure where that's made. That could be from China, could be from Italy. Uh, there's no way to, to really tell. Um, all of the cast metal parts, I believe, are made in Italy. Um, but again, it's possible that some may be made in China because Piaggio does have a factory in China uh, that makes uh, a lot of engines and other engine parts. So it's possible that some of the the, the production of the individual parts is in China, and then they're assembled and machined in Italy. 
Um, the brakes are Grimeca, uh, also an Italian company. So, so the vast majority of the bike is Italian. I would say it's about ninety percent. Hey, that's amore. That's amore. That's amore. <laughs> <laughs> well, and uh, any uh, distant relatives? Uh, yes, I found that uh, the bike is the third cousin twice removed of Roberto Benini. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for Sofia Loren. Come on. <laughs> that, that would be the best for 946. Yeah. <laughs> well done. Isn't it interesting? Now you have me. I want to, I want to challenge the 100% Africa twin. Okay. I have my own tires. that I can go test. But yeah. I'm like, yeah. What, what, what is on there that maybe? You well, even the tires, right? They are. Um, Bridgestone. Bridgestone, yes. Yeah. So where are Bridgestone motorcycles tire made? Yeah. I don't know. In Where? Japan. Oh, wow. And okay. you do have to check that. You can't. I mean, like yeah. Michelin. Everyone's oh, Michelin's French. French. Well, mm-hmm. Michelin have got plants in France, which is the big one. I'm a Spain, b- most of the sport bike tires are made in Spain. They do have a plant in the USA as well. And I'm so. a big fan of their stars. Yes. Yes. Well, I <laughs> yeah. like eating in restaurants that yes. have a Michelin star. Yes. Oh, maybe we can do that next month. Do you remember? Do you remember what the Michelin man's called? Bib, Monsieur Bib. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that when we no. did our thing on tubes? We did a little oh, Misfits episode. On that's right, Monsieur Bib. Well, well, there you go. Um, I encourage if anyone else wants to find out the DNA on their bikes, because here's the question, and we don't have the answer to the question. I think we can guess as best as anyone else can, but I want to know. How far back do you have to go? I mean, to get a purely American bike, 100% American bike. I'm guessing like pre-war. Yeah, pre-war, post-war, yeah. Harley. Yeah, I mean, some post-war, I would think. Early post-war. Right, but I mean, it's... Probably it's, not past the 60s. Oh, well, I was going to say, I think the 60s were a turning point because the, the, it got cheap yeah. to move things around. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know... Back in the 1940s and 1950s, I mean, every country made basically products for themselves. And if somebody overseas liked it, that was great. And thus, you know, Harley-Davidson was basically made for Americans, from American components. English bikes were basically made for English people. Um, but they did rather well over here because they were light and fast. So um, I, I bet one of the first things that came from overseas post-war was the carburetors. Oh, I'm sure. I bet you that was one of the mm. first. Well, yeah. not just that, just influence too. When you look at the competition with like uh, British bikes, and then you get into like Aramaki and its infusion in Harley Davidson, right? Is that carbs because mm. of airplanes? I wonder. I mean, it like could the, the be. transition from airplanes to motorbikes. Well, and I mean, the cost. I would, oh, yeah, oh, the yeah, cost, okay. and you know the. Uh, British bikes have always done well with carburetors and British cars as well, because you've always had to do more with less. I mean, America, American vehicles have always had this love affair with cubic inches and these giant engines, including in the bikes. Whereas you in Europe, you know, you have maybe a 1,000 cc engine in a car or a 500 or a 350 engine in a bike and it'll better carburate well because it's still got to get you down the road so you get good at making efficient carburetors um so yeah i i kind of agree you know electrical systems carburetting systems that's probably so yeah if you know the answer to that question or if you want to share your bike's dna send us an email at 
Motorcyclesandmisfits at gmail.com. Or share your DNA if you've got something interesting going sure. on. Yes, That's absolutely. That's if, <laughs> if, if you find you're related to Attila the Hun, I would love to meet you. Um, well, you know what is 100% UK? <clears throat> what? Emma? No, but the tour that I want to do in August. So um, <laughs> uh, we're still trying to see if there's enough people who have interest to do my UK dream trip in August. We don't have exact dates, but I think we're looking at 10 to 12 days. We're looking at about $5,000 and going from Ace Cafe up to the Triumph uh, Factory for a factory tour up in Birmingham. Yes. Right? Birmingham. Birmingham, yeah. Yeah, and then over, do a tour of Wales, and then Ooh, yes. take the ferry over, do a lap at Isle of Man. That's on my bucket list. And we're trying to fit in some other fun, cool stuff, like maybe a night at a Speedway race. Right. Um, yeah. How about Scotland? Well, that's not, I don't think, in the 10 or 12 days. But... Um, just if somebody's interested, we're just taking people, uh, signing up on our list of, of uh, you know, if, if you're interested, send me an email, motorcyclesandmisfits at gmail.com. If we get enough people interested, we're going to make this happen. Uh, because I'm not as popular as Emma is, who has two tours that people are signing up for. I think, um, the, the training tour. The Dolomites training tour is close to being full. Mm -hmm. We are still selling tickets for the Curves and Castles tour, which is taking place mostly in Germany and Austria. Um, sign up for it. They're, they're great tours. And you get to hang out with me. Uh, link in the show notes. Um, Laodescapes. Laodescapes.com. Yep. Yeah, where you can find those tours. Uh, real quick, we're going to get some emails done. Bagel, there's one I sent you. Um, I will read this first one, and this one is from Jason, and he says, Hey, Misfits, congratulations on the 500 episodes. Oh, thank you, Jason. Thanks. Sounds like you all had a blast. I wish I could have been there. I hope by the time you get this email that the weather is improving, and it has. Well-timed. I've put some thought into the bike twin topic. Oh, yes. So, for those who don't know, I, I have a theory that every bike has a separated at birth twin that is a car, right? And uh, so people have been sending us in their separated at birth uh, bike and car. So he says, um, so I found the twin for my 2015 Kawasaki Vulcan 900 Custom. And he believes it is a 1964 Chevy Apollo SS Lowrider. <laughs> he says it's com a comfortable cruiser and has the power to get up and go when I want to. But the pictures attached will shed some more light. Keep it up and take care. He says, P.S. I did not paint my bike. That is the way it comes from the factory with the custom ghost flames. I wasn't looking for something so flashy, but I can't deny I love the look of it. And then he's got a SS, uh, like a lowrider with custom oh, yeah. look, they, ghost they flames go. on it. I'm that's like gangster. Yeah, I'm like yeah. That's pretty. That is pretty good. Vulcan 900. Yeah, yeah, yeah good one. I'll buy into that. Uh, mm -hmm. Emma, you have one there. I have one here from. Um, where is he? Where's it? Sam. Hey Sam. Hello Sam. From, hey, Sam. And I'm insanely jealous of Sam, and I'll come to that. Um, loving the podcast. Came across them by accident, and now I'm hooked. I'm from Belfast, Northern Ireland. Over 40, but still hip. Ha <laughs> ha! Um, my favorite bits are readers' comments and questions. Well, you're listening to them now, Sam. Yeah, yeah. Incidentally, um, I recommend, I don't normally do film recommendations, but um, last year when I went over to um, Italy to do the training tour, I saw a wonderful film 
by Kenneth Branagh called Belfast, and I recommend everyone to see it. It's an absolute masterpiece. It's wonderful. Um, Anyway, um, I feel I know you all. Well, you do. I mean, to... Hear us on the podcast is to know us intimately. Certainly now, exactly. Especially once you've seen the naked ride video. Mm-hmm. He's riding one of my favorite bikes of all time. Yeah, I ride a, G- a GSX 1400, Ooh. and I try Ooh. to ride a KTM 250 Enduro. Thank you all, Great. and maybe oh, cool. get to meet you all sometime if you ever come to Ireland for a wee tour. Um, by the way, my T-shirt size is medium. Haha, <laughs> right, safe, Sam. Uh, that gets. I tell you what, I'm going to do. I'm going to stand Sam a T-shirt. Oh, you are? Yeah, I'll send... Because he's riding a GSX 1400, which requires testicles of steel. Mm -hmm. So, Sam, I'm going to buy you a T-shirt, mate. All right. That's brilliant. And for anyone else, you can go to MotorcyclesAndMisfits.com and you can find T-shirts in our store. In fact... Uh, some of uh, the last year's models, I only have a few left, and I marked them down like 15 bucks. Yeah, he's getting one of the $15 ones. So <laughs> in an extra small. Well, if he takes a medium, if we give him an extra small, he's going to look super buff in it. I'm, I'm actually doing you a favor, Sam. No, I'll get him a medium. If we've got a medium in last year's, that's that's. I'll stand him yeah, one. Yeah, we'll see. I only have a couple. We'll see. All right, we got time. Bill, though. For one more. <laughs> what? Oh, my gosh. That's what we do sometimes. Bagel, what you got there? I have an email from Andy Wessel. Hey, Andy. 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 And Andy writes, I have a question for the resident scooter expert. That's you. My wife and I have recently been bitten by the scooter bug. Oh, God. And have been putting t- on tons of miles. I've rode motorcycles my whole 27 years of existence. Hmm. Oh. But she's only got about 1,500 miles of experience. Here's the question. We're vacationing in North Carolina this year, and one of my bucket list items is to ride the tail. I am confident in my ability to tackle the dragon on a scoot, but I'm nervous it might be too much for the wife. Is the tail of the dragon too much for a second-year scooterist? Well, I think that depends on what kind of riding she has is already used to doing. Um, he didn't say where he's from, so I, I couldn't really even guess, but if, if he's from someplace or Liza, do you have something you wanted to add? Oh, you finish yours and then I have my opinion. Oh, okay. Well, I was going to say, if, if, if you're used, if she's yeah, used we to don't riding, need to see a hand for that. <laughs> if, if, if she's used to riding on flat, straight roads, the dragon might be a little daunting because it is all curves and, and, and there are a number of turns that are that are off camber or are very tight or or deceptively uh, uh, you know, just deceptive in the way that they're they're arranged. So you really need to be need to be ready for them. Um, so my advice would be if if she's interested in riding the dragon, um, I would have her practice on some other curvy roads first. Um, you know, roads where there's not a lot of traffic that are not super fast roads where she can get used to the handling of the bike on on curves and and get used to how to apply the right amount of counter steer um, and how to take the right line into curves and coming out of them. And once she's she's used to that, 
uh, and has a good feel for it and feels comfortable with it, then I think she's she's good for the dragon. But I would also recommend do not do the dragon on the weekends because it is just a parking lot. So, <laughs> so you will you will not have fun on the dragon on the weekends. Do it during the week if you have the chance. And that's exactly what I was going to say. Somebody has written it a bunch of times. Um, it's not so much about your ability to handle the curves. It's about your ability to handle all the sport bikes and 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 BMW cars trying to pass you. And, and, and people driving RVs on the Dragon. Yes, and people on Harleys <laughs> coming at you and crossing over the double yellow. Um, sounds, sounds fun. There, I mean, it is the <laughs> coolest road for like 14 states, so everybody goes down there. So there's a yeah. lot of traffic. If you aren't comfortable with dealing with traffic coming at you and behind you and around you mm-hmm. while you're navigating curves, I would say no, it's not just navigating yeah. the curves. It's dealing with all of that and being ready to Sound, pivot at any moment. Sounds like Dakar. Yeah. Deal, yeah, yeah. Dealing exactly. with all the humanity. <laughs> Instead, why and, don't and you if, uh, get her in the Dakar? And <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do some sand dunes first. Uh, or yeah. better That's, still, get her a nice little motorbike because scooters are death traps and never should be ridden <laughs> by <laughs> anyway. Right, Bagel? Is the Tale of the Dragon. <laughs> More of a uh, a challenging, twisty, fun, quick road, or is it mm-hmm. a thirty mile an hour zone with an insane amount of traffic that's trying to go seventy? Probably the latter. <laughs> a little of both. I mean, it's. I don't think the speed <gasps> limit on the on the dragon is more than like thirty or thirty five. It is thirty, but there's nowhere. Oh. But there's nowhere for like a cop to hide and give you a ticket. Yeah. So, so if you hit you know, like people, on a. People, on a Tuesday morning, a little bit. you could probably rip on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I was I was also going to say, if you can hit it first thing in the morning is the best time, because yeah. that's when there's going to be the least traffic on it. Yeah. So and, if she can manage and, the Trader Joe's parking lot, <laughs> she'll be okay yeah. there. Well, I mean, it's more than just a parking lot, though. You you need to understand how, how to approach curves with the bike, because you can't get that in a parking lot. So, you have to be... In the environment you know, where there's there's elevation changes, where you go go down right. into drops and it goes around, and it's like you need to know how to how to control that bike through those you know, through those curves. And to a certain extent, the dolomites are exactly the same way. If you had the dolomites to yourself, it'd be an absolutely mm-hmm. wonderful thing. But you don't. You have to share them with trucks, with cars, some very <clears throat> fast cars. People who are a lot quicker than you on motorcycles, people who are a lot slower than you on motorbikes, and I guess the closest I ever get to any of that is Highway 17. By the way, fuck all um, y'all dolomites. Actually, the, the other the other recommendation <laughs> I'd have, and I want to see if Craig will support me on this, sign up for an advanced rider class oh, yes. at a local school. Absolutely, yeah. that that's the best. That way That would be the to learn. best way to make sure that she's fully equipped. I would say start with the beginner, then take the intermediate, and then you can take the advanced and continue keep continuing that education to there you go. best prepare so, you. Yeah. People can come and to your it, class on a Vespa. Absolutely, we have there people bring Vespas all the time to the to the school. Do you heckle? Nice. <laughs> no, no, they're they're fully encouraged because our schools in San Francisco, a lot of people up there, they just want to ride. They they have no interest necessarily in getting the fast thousand cc mm. sport bikes. They just want something to cruise those San Francisco streets. They come, bring their scooter to the class, 
get licensed, get trained up. And then we train them sometimes on the motorcycles if they ever. That's the one thing we do recommend is if they bring the scooter, we say, here's a motorcycle. If you learn the clutch, if Mm -hmm. ever 10 years down the road, you want to upgrade to a motorcycle, then that's encouraged. If you want to be a scooterist forever, that's also completely fine. And if somebody shows up to take your class on a quad, what do you say? (laughs) Get out of here! (laughs) There it is. There it is. So, uh, hey, this is that uh, time where we thank everyone, but I want to especially thank Mo for coming and sharing. Big shout out to Mo! But also, hey man, Santa Cruz proud. You're one of ours. I know, wow. That's even even cooler. Hey, and anytime you want to get a fix, come on down on a Sunday and hang out with us while we're wrenching on bikes and uh, I might be hitting you up to see if you're going to be available Actually, during our rally. Can I, can well, I ask you one bring question? Bring yep. yeah. We didn't ask Mo. What do you do for a living? Um, I have about five jobs to pay for my rally habit. <laughs> right. I, I kind of got yeah. that. I do IT support, mostly network engineering for okay. local to small medium, uh, you know, small medium sized businesses locally. Uh, all the auto groups down in Watsonville and right. some, yeah. some uh, optometric centers here in town, more and sun outboards and more and sun uh, bikes. Mm. And, but you, you, you have the kind of job that's going to give you sufficient financial clout to yeah, do this I to a certain I don't extent. make any money if I'm not there. That's the one. Well, yeah, there's, yeah, there's the problem. Yeah, yeah. So you, also, you do just... some, also do some um, work with uh, uh, these pro race sailing teams grand prix sailing teams so Ooh, have a background in sailing which is a whole nother conversation about navigation wow. okay uh, you know com- compass work and stuff for the bikes comes from uh, from wow. the sailing background i i spent eight years trying to qualify for the olympics in sailing wow, wow. you got that adventure spirit in you yeah no, I yeah told you. that's yeah. the spark he's, yeah. he's got the heart of a champion <laughs> that's the spark. you can tell they're they're, mm. they're they're different from the rest mm. of us yeah well i just have one more question this one's for charlie charlie have you been inspired by Mo? <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if it didn't cost like a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Well, maybe I, there's, one there's day. cheaper ways yeah. to do it. Yeah. One of my teammates describes it as the cost of a F one fifty. And you can outfit those things many different ways, right? Yeah. So your your budget is uh, it's up to you. I mean, you can you know you could swim there. You don't have to fly. I mean, there's ways to cut corners. <laughs> uh, so what are the, what are the closest dunes to us? Like Glamath, Glamis is it? Or? I, I still think if you're um, actually the Dumont Dunes is probably preferred if you're on the U.S. side. Yeah, because Mexico is kind of far from here, and I got to work it, too. You know, it it's is. Like, it yeah. is. The Where's Dumont? Dumont's. Uh, it's outside Baker, kind of on the way to Vegas. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. like if you're doing LA Barstow oh. Vegas, when you're getting towards Vegas, you ride through the usually you ride through the backside of that dune field. Jim, yeah. Jim and I were talking about doing it. Uh, yeah. Actually, pretty seriously, I think that might be Baker. next on the list. Nice. Baker, uh, Baker's got the world's biggest thermometer. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh-huh. oh, that's oh yeah. that place. Yeah, yeah that, that place. place. I I blew up a Lincoln Continental outside Baker, going up the grade, going to Ooh, Vegas. C four dynamite. It's not super. <laughs> it's not super close to Baker, but it's that part of the world. Yeah, I mean, if you're going, it's if that you're, neck of the woods. If yeah. you're going to Vegas, you should you should check it out. No, but thank you for coming here for representing Santa Cruz, representing America. Yes. <laughs> and and you know but also for just kind of showing people like you could do it. 
Yeah, it's you possible. Know? I wouldn't recommend it right now, but it is possible. Slow and, <laughs> slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. Hey, and also big thanks to all of our listeners for hanging with us. I uh, hope you're enjoying uh, the year so far. We're really working on bringing more and more good content and so glad to have people like Mo here. Mm-hmm. And also, we cannot forget our Patreon supporters. Thank oh, yes. you so much. Big shout out to yeah. them. Um, hopefully, hopefully, people are coming to our rally in March. Sign up. Go to MotorcyclesAndMissits.com. You'll find links there. <clears throat> and you'll find everything, including those T-shirts that are on sale. So I think we're ready to get out of here. Thank you so much. Um, for those who have done it the first time, you're, follow along. You'll see how this goes. Let's get out of here. This is Liza. Charlie. Scotty. W. John. <laughs> Emma Dolly. Mo Hart. Craig. Ray Ray. Nigga Jam, son. Bagel. And we are out of here. Cool, cool. cool. Thank you.